What action would you take? March into Jotunheim as you once did. Teach them a lesson. Break their spirits or they'll never dare try to cross our borders again. You're thinking only as a warrior. This was an act of war! It was the act of but a few, doomed to fail. Look how far they got! We will find the breach in our defenses, and it will be sealed. As king of Asgard... But you're not king! Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert, my guest this evening, back again. And she said to me, when I messaged her and told her what the movie was, she said, you know, you've only, she's done, this will be your third episode, you've only given me good movies to do. So now my sole goal in life is to find the worst movie possible to invite her on next time. I'm in, I'm in. Lisa I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. Lisa Jamino is back, and we're talking Thor. Welcome to the show, The MCU, a movie people have actually heard of for once, so that's good. Uh, before we get into the actual movie itself, I got a bit of a a, a rant <laughs> prepared, Go for it. Um, just about Marvel and Disney and the state of cinema and and all of that stuff, because you hear a lot of you know the discourse surrounding the MCU movies and Disney is very toxic at times, very strange at times. And look, I get it. Monopolies are scary. The idea that, you know, Disney is this mega corporation that's going to own everything. Well, first off, they don't because they're still Warner Brothers. They're still Paramount. They're still, you know, there's other things yep. going on. That's probably not going to change. Another thing to consider is, but these things do change. Prior to 1989, when the Disney Renaissance started and The Little Mermaid came out, Disney was on the verge of bankruptcy. They were about to yep. quit doing animation altogether. Yep. That wasn't that terribly long ago, you know? So, like, these things change. And I understand that, look, oh, you're here defending this multi-billion dollar conglomerate. Look, I'm defending Marvel and being able to be entertained. Marvel happens to be owned by Disney, and say what you want about that. But as a kid growing up who loved this stuff, and I'm not usually someone who's prone to, you know, I think nostalgia is a very poisonous thing a lot of the times, but I'm not that guy. I look back on most of the stuff I liked when I was a kid, and I go, oh, well, that's garbage. You know, Thundercats. And yeah, Heat. there's a reason I like that. There's a reason I like that when I was eight. And I, you know, and that's fine, but it doesn't, you know, yeah. hold sway over my heart anymore. You know, I'm a grown up now. Yeah, a real. The, the prime example to me in my life was Thundercats, which was my favorite thing when I was a kid. And when that finally came out on DVD and like when I was, I don't know, 18, 19 years old. I went to the video store, I rented the first season, I'm like, here we go, Thundercats. I haven't been able to watch this in forever because it wasn't really on VHS so much or anything. And I got an episode and a half in before I took it back to the video store because it was unwatchable trash. You know, most of the stuff from each So I don't have that nostalgia for every little thing. Like, I outgrew Ninja Turtles, I outgrew... Like, I don't care about most of that stuff. But Marvel has been a constant in my life. Comics in general... You know, and just comic books as an art form, as a storytelling medium. But Marvel's just always been my favorite. So the opportunity to see, if you told 11-year-old me, hey, one day, not only is there going to be like an Iron Man movie, it's going to be good. 
There's going to be three of them. It's going to lead into the Avengers and 20 some other movies. And everyone you know will like it. I would call you a liar and kick you in the shins because you're foolish because there's no way, you know? Yeah. So it's a wonderful time to be alive and be a fan of these things, especially because they've done such a good job translating it. So that's what I'm a fan of. We get into the issues with no ethical consumption under capitalism and, and that's fine, but it still brings, it brings joy. I, I, I hate that Disney's got a monopoly, whatever monopoly, quote unquote. I hate that it's controlled by a company that I don't respect, but the joy that it brings is not lessened because of that. And what I've seen, thankfully, is the vast majority of people that I interact with about this issue are like, Marvel is great. Marvel makes great product. Disney still needs to, to fix itself. And so everyone I've seen has never been afraid to call out both Disney and Marvel when they screw up, call Disney names, call Disney Monopoly. No one's going, oh, Disney's wonderful. They're like, no, Disney sucks. But if this is the only way I'm going to get Marvel, then all we can, then I'm going to take the Marvel and I'm going to call Disney out every chance I get. And that's not unhealthy to me. That's actually a healthy way to consume it. It's not ideal, but you know, yeah. what are we going to do? Again, I, Disney itself, Look, I'm not, the bringing joy thing is very important because to me, the vitriol and hatred that Disney gets, some of it I understand because some of their practices are fucked up and they need to work on shit like that. Like that thing where, and it's all, there's all sorts of things, but the thing where like the, a kid wanted Spider-Man on his tombstone when he died and they wouldn't let him have it. Like that's messed up, man. Like I understand that like you're controlling your IP and you don't want people in it thinking associating death with spider-man like i understand the psychology behind it but fucking come on man let this kid have spider-man like who gives a shit yeah exactly you know? so stuff like that is okay. like really guys and lots of other things but at the same time like you said bringing joy this the this company is as powerful as it is and has made the money that it has because it has spent a hundred years putting smiles on children's faces so instead of all the hatred and vitriol that we focus on Disney, maybe shift a little bit and focus that on, I don't know, BP or <laughs> Big Pharma, you know, companies that are actively destroying the planet and killing people, which Disney is not doing as far as we know. So Exxon, uh, innumerable you know, companies that mine the rainforest, the leadership of Brazil. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's plenty of hatred to go around and there's plenty of reasons to get on Disney's ass about things, but people talk about it like it's, you know, there's just, there's other things you should hate more. I feel like, you know, so I have no problem. Never stop calling it out, but stop acting like it's the greatest evil that's ever existed. Yes. And that's, and that's the other area I wanted to get into is film Twitter, especially is bad about this, but film critics also are always, you know, Oh, another Disney movie. There's three a year, and it's oversaturated, and there's no room in cinemas for anything else, and it's destroying Bullshit. cinema. Thank you, Martin Scorsese. Bullshit. Look, there were more. There were more westerns put out in one year in the '50s than every superhero movie ever made in all of history. Yeah, that was gonna be my next point. Was that I think 19. 1950- Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely, I'm glad that you know this stuff too. In 1953, yeah. there was like 60 westerns that came out. Which is yeah. ludicrous and insane, but that's because that's what was popular at the time. Yeah, these things come and and, and and a lot of those westerns are now 
called by those critics oh these are classics like oh these have such depth and they were not they were they were pulp they were nothing at the time nobody thought that they had any validity other than oh we'll get the rubes to buy some popcorn but that's how some critics also talk about marvel is that these have no artistic merit it's all but here's the thing they say that but then when every marvel movie comes out Go through Rotten Tomatoes and look at the scores, the critic scores, for every Marvel movie. The lowest score they have for Thor The Dark World, which is considered by most people to be the worst Marvel movie, is a 66%, mm-hmm. which is still not too shabby. Passing grade. Most of them are in the 80 and 90%. Yep. So critics want to have it both ways. They want to say, oh, these are terrible, these are acts of terrorism on cinema, but then when they come out, they enjoy them and tell people to go see them. So, you know? I, I work in I work in independent film. Trust me. There are There is no fewer independent films and product, products being made. In fact, in some cases, the, the, the products being produced now are richer and fuller and better, at least partially because because of the amount of attention and effort that has been put into, say, technological advances, you don't need film anymore. The red cameras. I have a dude who lives in his car who has a camera that can shoot better looking film than stuff that was shot in the 80s. All right. And it's like there are more women there. There's more women on every crew in every capacity that I've seen. There's more uh, non-white people. There's more stories being told that are interesting. Yeah. Sometimes they're harder to find, but trust me, it wasn't exactly easy to get into movie theaters in the eighties. If you were making a niche film about, um, you know, uh, Inuit lesbians, you know, cause there were a few of those in Canada and you had to like go to special places to see those. Right. And now there's str- like, I agree. There's always flaws in everything, and there's always flaws in, in all of this, and none of it is, is none of it is unproblematic. But to try and claim that there's something about is special about Marvel and Disney that has ruined anything is ridiculous. If nothing else, Marvel and Disney have launched how many careers of people who would who are creating really interesting stuff now, no, if not launched and boosted, or like Taika Waititi had a, was a great director before he did Thor. Now he's in a position to just do what he wants and he's telling interesting stories because he doesn't have to do something just for money. That's powerful. That's art to me because it's like, I want these people telling stories where they're not beholden to anybody and that's the power they have now. When I'm at the other end of the pipeline, I run a movie theater and coming out of COVID when we reopened after five months of being closed, I was very, very worried because everything has been delayed. Nothing is, you know, and there's yep. and it's not just Marvel, it's blockbusters in general that, oh, they clog up the cinema and there's no room for any. But let me tell you something, and this is, you don't have to like this, not you, but people listening who might disagree. Yeah, yeah. the, the you, royal you. <laughs> you don't have to like this, but this is a fact that I'm telling you as someone with boots on the ground. What kept my theater doors open was not Judas and the Black Messiah. Great movie. No one gave a shit. Yeah. The reason, the reason my theater is still open today is because for three straight months, people came to see The Croods 2. Yep. Which, in your mind, might be baby trash for babies, and that's fine. But that's the reason my theater is open. Not because of Judas and the Black Messiah. Not because of the latest A23 movie. You know what I mean? Like, There's room for that stuff. We still have that stuff. The most screens 
I think Avengers Endgame had three of our seven screens for a couple weeks. That's the most. So it's not crowding anything out. There was still four other screens showing <laughs> counter-programming and other things. It's a ludicrous concept. Look at how many movie theaters in England, at least a dozen, movie theaters closed their doors forever just because James Bond did not come out when it was supposed to. That's yep. crazy, but that's the state of things. You want to save cinema? You care about your local movie theater? You should be fucking glad Marvel movies are coming out. You should be glad Fast and the Furious 9, is, which I don't even like. But that's a movie people are going to and keeping your theater open. They're not going to see the the Green Knight. They're not going to see, you know what I mean? So the more people, the, the more people who interact with the art form, the more people you will find who will love the art form. And if they're interacting it, interacting with it first, or in, uh, I still interact. I'm a professional. I work in film professionally. I make indie films, you know, often for free because I want to get these things made. And it's like I learn my. You learn from everything if you're paying attention to it with the respect that it in that that. I always bring it back to the Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier will be taught in film schools as an example of how you make a movie, because that is a movie that is not simply just an action blockbuster. It is not simply just got some of the best action sequences ever put on film ever, but it is deep and layered and interesting and is got a story. Thor Ragnarok is about colonialism. It's also got jokes and, you know, Loki being thrown at, at aliens. It's like, give it give these things the respect that you would want to be shown to everything and take from them that which is good and in some cases what you're going to take from them is oh no that was all bad and that's fine you can have that that's that's perfectly fine but you learn something that way so if you really love cinema you can learn something from any piece of cinema any movie any tv series anything and it really bothers me and people are like oh that's just trash as i said I find people that that think hating Marvel and Disney as a personality are very tedious people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think people that are too obsessed, you know, on the other side can can be as well. Oh. But Oh yeah, loving it is also a tedious personality trait. <laughs> like loving it to the exclusion of all else is also a right. tedious personality trait. And and I've caught myself doing that on occasion and I've stopped. <laughs> well, cuz that's the thing. It's not like know, Marvel movies are the only thing I like. Like I watch neither. all yeah, kinds exactly. of stuff, you know. But here's the thing: crowd pleasing is okay. Spectacle is okay. Ben Hur won the Oscar not because it was a quiet little subtle character piece, because it was spectacle. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that's okay. God, the God, Godfather is just the the Godfather is a trash book. It is a terrible book. <laughs> and it is great. It is a great movie because it is elevated by performances and direction. But in, in at its heart, it is a it, it is it's a soap opera it's just it's violence in, in it's there's nothing particularly there's nothing particularly um deep about the godfather it's a bunch of dudes who murder each other and have sex but it wrapped in the right wrappings it becomes high art art <laughs> yeah which, which i agree with but like because yeah. like let's say a movie like i don't know uncut gems let's say good movie is it an enjoyable movie to watch that you would bring your whole family to? Absolutely not. It's uh, people no. shouting at each other for 90 minutes, and it's very it's very tense. You know, Terrible that's... people. Terrible, awful people I don't want to spend time with that's shouting not... at each other. That's not for everyone. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
there's no reason you can't have movies you can take your grandma and your kids to and also enjoy yourself. Like, it, that's fine. That's kind of what it should be. And you can have these other things outside that are for quote-unquote grown-ups and whatever else. Uh, yeah, it's just, I, I te- just... It's tedious to find myself <laughs> defending because you always have that bad faith argument of like, oh, wait a simp for a corporate. Like, I don't give a shit about the corporation. What I care I'm about defending is... defending Disney! What I care about is that I fucking love Captain America. I have since I was a kid. I love Spider-Man. And look, there it is, 60 feet tall. Just like you used to feel yeah. about Zorro or the Wolfman or whatever the fuck else it was you liked, you know? Or Godzilla. There's a reason why. There's a reason why when the pandemic hit, the number of people who were going on YouTube and looking for the audience reactions of Cap catching Mjolnir <laughs> went through the roof. Because that moment is a spark of pure serotonin you know oh my god he's worthy (laughs) you know you know and it is what it is i've watched that multiple times not just audience reactions but just watched it from a filmmaking perspective and it is one of the most beautiful that sequence from the moment that that thor loses mjolnir to 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 cap catching it it's actually one of the most beautifully structured pieces of filmmaking i've seen in a long time it's not I'm not saying that there's something arcane about it. It's not. It's just very, it's film language used correctly. And it's just beautiful. I mean, just perfect almost, like unimprovable. You know, and I'm like, that's, I learned, I watched, I learned something there. I learned stuff about that. Oh yeah, no, that's how you do that. You know, I just watched Secretariat last night with one of my friends. And that's a, that's a fun little movie, you know, whatever. I love horse racing, so it matters a lot to me. But I'm like, every time I watch that movie, I'm like, well, yeah, this this director really knows what he's doing. And that, that guy now writes and directs Christian movies like Kevin Sorbo and stuff, right? So he's like not somebody that I would ever really want yeah. as a friend. But, <laughs> you know. Oh, God, what else do they say? They say, oh, Mar- Marvel never takes any risks in its formula and they're all the same. First off, you can say they don't take risks now, maybe. But this entire endeavor Even that's not true. from that, yeah, of course. But yeah. the entire MCU endeavor before it was even a thing was a risk. No one's ever done this before. No one has ever tried this before. Nope. People have tried it since and stepped on their own dicks trying to copy Marvel and failing every step of the way. I'm looking at you, DC. I'm looking at you, Universal Monsters, Dark Universe bullshit. If it was easy, why hasn't every single person who's tried it replicated it? Hmm. But casting Robert Downey Jr., who was an uninsurable career unemployable almost actor to make a C or D grade superhero. I mean, people kind of knew who Iron Man was, but it's not like Spider-Man or Batman where your grandma knows who that is. He did not have he did not have a title out when the movie was made. Iron Man was not an active character of marvel in the comics when the movie came out that's risk man and then to say okay mm-hmm. that was successful great now here's what we're gonna do listen <laughs> it's gonna sound crazy we're not just gonna make another iron man movie we're gonna do captain america we're gonna do thor we're gonna and we're gonna then that's gonna lead into the avengers and it's gonna be a whole thing with all these movies that are all tied together like you know episodic storytelling it's maybe maybe that, maybe it would that help nobody people, maybe it would help people to stop thinking of these as like all these individual movies. Think of it as a season of a TV show, and every movie is cost two hundred million dollars and is two hours long. I don't every episode, you know. 
I don't know what will help get, get it across to people, but it was a risky thing to even conceptualize. And the fact that they pulled it, it off is, I don't think they got, they get enough props for pulling off something this no. grand and, what's the other word? I don't know. Just dangerous. Because if at any step of the way, if Captain America had bombed and Thor had bombed, yeah. then what do you do? Avengers comes out and no one gives a shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're sailing on just Iron Man's coattails. There was risk. Maybe there isn't any more, though I would disagree because I think Shang-Chi is a risky movie. A character no one's ever yes. heard of starring someone no one's ever heard of. Yep. I think that's starring a risky a, a, movie. A, a, starring a Canadian boy known for his comedy. I think If he, you know him at all, you know him for a, com, a sitcom. I think Eternals, which looks like this big, but is again, characters that people who don't read comics have never heard of, and people who do read comics don't really care about eternals are... i've been reading marvel i've been reading marvel since i was 12 and i can barely name the eternals <laughs> i mean neil gaiman took a shot at doing the eternals and he couldn't even make them interesting they're boring as fuck characters so to make a movie of them it's like when they did guardians guardians was what a risky maneuver that was no who, who could possibly care about the guardians of the galaxy and groot and rocket raccoon but now their household name but, you know that, that was a risky yeah. shit my take on that was at the exact same time that Marvel was making Guardians, here's a talking raccoon in a tree. Uh, DC was out, out there saying that they couldn't possibly make a Wonder Woman movie because women are too complicated. <laughs> That's a quote. I mean, DC is a whole other thing I'm not even going to get into right oh, now. Oh, yeah, me neither. But, but yeah. That's um, how much of a risk it was. <laughs> here's a tree and our talking raccoon with a gun. Go. What else did they say? Oh, they're... The Marvel movies are only so reviewed so well because Disney buys reviews, good reviews. Logistically impossible. Well, also, there's because Captain Marvel was so clearly, well, I mean, this is more Comicsgate fucking people and shit on Twitter, but, you know, obviously Captain Marvel's terrible because we hate it because of Whammon. And so there's no way that it actually got all these good reviews or sold this many tickets. So Disney must be flushing money down the toilet by buying empty auditoriums full of seats and also buying good reviews. Here's what I want you to do. Anyone who believes this, go look up the reviews for the Nutcracker and the Four Kingdoms or whatever that shit, shit that came out a couple years ago. Oh, yeah, called. that weird musical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go read the reviews for that because that is some scathing, savage shit <laughs> that was dumped on that movie. If Disney was going to buy itself some positive reviews, they would have put it on that thing. And they didn't. So I don't think that holds any water either. No, no, it's 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 the logistics of it are ridiculous. Even even if you even if you wanted to hold it, there was even a, an ounce of truth in it and there isn't, it's logistically impossible. It can't possibly be happening. There's no way. Well, because there's always at least that one critic it's usually Armand White. But there's always that one <laughs> critic who wants to, he sees a movie is all, is, might get 100%, and he has to be the one guy who's going to go give it a bad review. There's got to be that spoiler, you know? And so there would be all these movie critics who are like, I'm going to be the spoiler cause that's to make the tank Avengers Endgame's reviews or whatever. And it didn't fucking happen because everyone everyone with a brain watched it and enjoyed it. So I don't know, flaw, you know, flaws or whatever, but anyway. And I think the last point I have in this rant before we get into the movie this is taking longer than i expected um is oh, i'm with you though 
all of the, this, you know, but it's it's not art. It's not cinema. It's not how many Oscar winners and Oscar nominees need to be involved in these movies before you go, you know what? Maybe they know something I don't know. Because even there's people clamoring, clamoring to be in these things. You know? And you, Oh, it's a paycheck. So you're saying that all of these respected actors just want to buy a new boat. And maybe they do, but they're still, um, you know, these people still want to do art. And if they didn't see any art in it, they wouldn't keep coming back. They wouldn't keep signing up for it. They wouldn't jump on. And board, they haven't, you know, and they, and they've dropped. Yeah. And, and they, they have not come back if they've been unhappy and they've stopped or they've refused or, you know, like, it's not like every single person who's ever been offered anything at Marvel or Disney has been like, Oh, immediately. Oh, you give me, here, let me write the check. You don't get this kind of quality at anything. If everyone's just writing a check and phoning it in, you just, you don't, it just doesn't happen. You know? Yeah, they all seem to be having a whole lot of fun and be really good friends with each other. And yeah, so something is going on there that you're not grasping if you think that this is just they drove a truck of money up to their house. Like, there's more going on here. They're happy with what they're doing. But even just looking at the end game credits at the end when they have everybody's signatures and you can go, oh, Oscar winner, Oscar nominee, Oscar nominee, Oscar nominee, Oscar winner, Oscar winner. You know what I mean? It's crazy yeah. the cast that's in that movie. That's spread out mm -hmm. across all the MCU movies, you know, and Thor's no different, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I mean, heck, Natalie Portman came back once they got rid of Perlman. So it's like you can tell that she she didn't le she didn't leave because she wanted to. She left because there was something going on, and then she was like, "Oh, he's gone. Yeah, I'll come back." You know, or maybe Pearl she, Modern, maybe she wanted to work with Taika Waititi. Who knows? Yeah. It's not just actors. They also get good directors. I mean, you you also have your journeyman. You have guys like Tim Story, or not Tim Story, but um, Peyton Reed, you know. Oh, yeah, Peyton Reed, yeah. Guys like and, that. And, yeah. But then you also have, but like, sure. so, I mean, this is directed, the first Thor, our movie for this Kenneth episode, Branagh. believe it or not. Kenneth Branagh, who's the Shakespeare guy. And he went, yeah. Do you I, remember? I got to Do you remember the outcry? Do you remember the outcry when that was announced? I don't. Because I, I remember. I was just it. too excited because I was like, well, can yeah. I, I mean, it's. I, I don't know I, how he's I remember, action, but yeah, I remember the people that were like, "Oh my God, they're insane! This could never possibly work!" Oh my God, you know who? How could Kenneth Branagh ever agree to do this? There are people that were like outraged about it. When he is, to me, a very logical choice. I mean, he's not someone who had worked with this kind of budget before, or lots of special effects before, so that that could be worrisome. But you want high-minded costume drama where people talk funny that's your guy i mean his he's done a lot of shakespeare so his henry the fifth movie is one of my favorite shakespeare oh me too ever. and fifth and much ado about nothing his much ado about nothing is one of my favorite films but his henry the fifth that christmas day speech is one of the best deliveries oh, of it i've God, ever seen it's so good yeah and it's like as i as i keep saying higher that's what a second unit is for. You hire someone who knows how to direct action. If you don't know how to direct action, then you hire a second unit director to do that. And then you work closely with them. That's why we have the full face costumes because you put the, the stunt man in the costume and then have second unit directed. It's like, there's a reason why things are set up the way they are. It's to, to boy up the weaknesses 
and make everything come together as, as a single product. And that's why these things work, not because it's one person's vision of every single possible thing. Nobody can do all of that. So let's work as a team. And that's actually, I think what's always probably been the strength of these movies is there's a sense of that this is a team of people who are all committed to this one goal, not, oh, just, oh, it's me, 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 I'm doing this thing, you know? Of course, we're saying all this the same week that Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney. So. Yeah, but co- contract breach, contract breach, and I'll, you know. The problem is I, I have no over, problem but... with her. Yeah, good for her. Like, that's fine. If they breached her contract, they breached her contract. But that's that's different. Also, I mean, she's done anyway, so I don't think she's anything to lose. <laughs> yeah, which I think is where is a luxury Gal Gadot doesn't have because I think she had a similar deal for Wonder Woman, but she wants to be Wonder Woman again, so she's keeping her mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Could be. I don't know. Agreed. I'm no kind of insider or anything. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's my rant about Marvel and the MCU and Disney. And look, just you don't have to like this stuff. If I don't care if you if like it or not. Yeah. aren't your thing, that's fine. There's a lot, you know. But a lot of people do enjoy it and just fucking let them. You know, the world is a dark and scary place, and if watching Hawkeye shoot arrows at people makes them feel good for five goddamn minutes, who gives a shit? Just let them. It's not hurting that, you, <laughs> you know? And yeah. Disney's not coming to your house and stealing your fucking children, so just let people enjoy things. Let people enjoy things. That that you do not find value in something does not mean that it does not have value. Yeah. is basically always my take. And, and, and by that same token, it's like, you know, just because you like something doesn't mean you can't criticize it. But just because you don't like something doesn't mean that it's terrible. Like, hey, you know, we're not all, there's eight billion people on this planet. And we all have very different opinions of things, and let's just let's it's all chaos. Let's just be kind. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm sure there are movies I hate that people love. There are movies I love that people have never heard of. <laughs> so it's yeah, same. It takes all different boats to float your I whatever. Can... So. You know, I can defend. I can defend movies, like defend intelligently, objectively movies that I'm like, I know that that's not a great movie, but I can defend why I like that movie. And by the same token, I'm not expecting anyone to like it. I'm just saying, I can defend. There's some movies I'm not going to mention them here because it would. It's that's a can of worms I don't want to open on a podcast about Thor. But yeah, it's too. like there's stuff I'm like, yeah, there's stuff that I'm like. I know this is not a good movie, but I can defend why it has merit. <laughs> or I know that, that's different. I know that this is on a technical level a brilliant good, thing. Good filmmaking. I just don't enjoy it. Yes. That's where I'm yep. at. Here's some controversial shit that's gonna get me in trouble. I'm not a huge Stanley Kubrick fan. I like some of his stuff. Me neither. I like Full Metal Jacket a lot. I like the last half of Clockwork Orange. I like Eyes Wide Shut, actually. And I like I love Doctor Strangelove. I think The Shining is a great movie, but a terrible adaptation. I think 2001: A Space Odyssey is the most boring fucking piece of shit boring. I've ever seen. I hate that fucking movie, and that people hold it me up too. as one of the best movies ever made is insane to me. Yeah, I can't but stand Orson Welles. I understand. That was a great filmmaker. I can look at it and go, I see why people like this. Yep. It's not for me. <laughs> you know, yep. I think he's very overrated, but that's just me. Uh, me too. I like Marvel there's, movies. There's a whole so bunch what the fuck do I know? I guess I'm a moron. But here we go. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of them. Mostly, mostly the the cis hat white guy, old old cis hat white men, 
make movies these days where I'm like, yeah, I'm aware that that guy is technically a brilliant director and there's, you know, whatever you can, I've no, I've seen many, most of their movies. I have no, but they, they say nothing to me. They speak, they do not speak to me. They do not move me. There is nothing about them that causes me to ever wish to see them again. They're not bad movies, but maybe holding them up as the epitome of all art maybe saying more about you as a person and what you need to buoy up your ego than it does about the movie because 2001 is a boring piece of crap i'm sorry it just is well, <laughs> it's and even not that, a good movie even that one, i like the last i like the last stuff i like all the hal stuff but there is yeah hal's great there is no reason whatsoever and you can go on you can write me a college paper about it i don't give a shit there's no reason that the first 20 minutes of that movie is monkeys and the next 20 minutes is a guy walking through hallways i don't care how cool the hallways look because they move and they rotate there's still nothing fucking happening for the first 40 minutes of that movie and that's a waste of my goddamn time and for me i can't separate the fact that kubrick was a horrifically abusive prick well that's from <laughs> from me watching the movies because he was an absolutely horrific horrific perfectly abusive terrible human being and i'm like uh, that's fine i'm not you know i'm not canceling it or whatever it's fine uh, i don't separate the art from the artist i don't believe that that's even possible and i hate that phrase and but i'm not i'm not saying it's a moral judgment on anybody for liking the films but for me it has an immediate cooling effect on anything i might find that is pleasurable about those movies because i'm like yeah this is technically great but i wonder how many people went home and, and fucking screamed at their at their kids or you know hit their dog because they just spent 12 hours on set with this lunatic who abused them you know like <laughs> i don't know we're yeah. both canceled now <laughs> yeah that's fine go ahead and cancel me apparently apparently that's how you get rich if you're a right-wing grifter so <laughs> or you can edit that out if you want <laughs> anyway enough of that anyway yeah Thor. enough of that let's get let's get to the big fun let's get to the Big guy with a hammer. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Thor from 2011, which uh, previously I'd see. I'd obviously I'd seen the theater. I'd seen on Blu-ray a bunch. I never watched it in 4K before, like it is on Disney Plus. Man, this is a good-looking movie. It's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. I'll say so. The 4K is not the best friend to some of the CGI. It really stuff that held up pretty good on Blu-ray. A looks, decade ago, yeah. ooh, a little dodgy in 4k like the the ice monster in at jotunheim the big four-legged thing yeah not the best special effect i've ever seen so 4k kind of brings out the flaws and stuff as well but yeah don't tell me every marvel movie looks the same because no marvel movie looks like this no this looks like his hamlet that's what i immediately thought is that this visually struck me more as being more like brenna's hamlet than anything else i'd ever seen but in outer space <laughs> yeah it was his Hamlet with Thor and Loki and Odin is what it looked like to me. So there was a specific visual style to it that was instantly recognizable as Brana and has never been replicated anywhere else in Marvel ever. And even just the even light, in the other Thor movies. Yeah, even just the lighting yeah. and stuff is very because I think Thor Dark World is a very subdued and sort of dark, as the name would say, dark, dark world, sort of cloudy kind of movie. Dark, this is yeah. a very sun-dappled movie. There's sun shining on it's people all the time. Yeah, it's very rich and saturated, the colors of the light as well. They, they, they did a lot of very saturated golden colors in the light. And, like, Dark World is very gray and red and flat. It's almost shot more like um, a modern action movie. Yeah. Uh, um, 
and and then Ragnarok is 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 a big colorful explosion of of surreal color like a Kirby comic, right? Right. And so it's like, yeah, they all even all three of the four movies look hundred percent different from each other. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a phrase I've never the Marvel formula. I don't I don't even understand what does that mean. What does that mean if they all there's no look, they all look different. <laughs> I act I. I honestly think I have an explanation for this. I honestly think there's an explanation for it because there's a, a method of writing comics called the Marvel method. Okay. Sure. And it is solely a method, of, a, spe- a specific technical way that, that some writers write comic books. And what it is, is the writer gets it and they write, they just write descriptions for panels with no dialogue. Can that give that to the artist? The artist draws the panels and then they add the dialogue in afterwards. And that was done during a period when Stan Lee was writing seven out of eight of the Marvel comics yeah. every month, and he didn't have time. And and some writers, uh, Matt Fraction uses it. I think Mark Wade's used it. Some writers say that there's actually moments where uh, where if you know what the story you want to tell is, but you don't know the exact words, it actually has been really helpful for them because often the words they put in the characters' mouths will be informed by the art. And I think that there are people out there that are mistaking, they've heard half-hazardly that there's a Marvel method. And they're like, oh, that must mean the MCU. No, like, no, it's just it's specifically a technical thing that comic book writers do. That's it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe when they talk about formula, maybe they talk about, and this is a thing that comes up a lot in the movies, is that the villain is always just sort of the same kind of power set or the same, you know. Like Iron Man fought people that are in Iron Man suits, and Black Panther fought basically another guy who was Black Panther, and you know the, the uh, enemies are kind of the mirror image. That that comes up a lot. Yeah, it's an action movie trope that's been going on since the seventies. Yeah, there's that Come too. On. Yeah, and it's also that's from not, the yeah, source it's a material and whatever. So. Yeah, it's a trope. It's a trope of of storytelling. Seeing that complaining that the stories are made up of tropes is like complaining that there's oxygen in air. <laughs> I remember another thing Excellent. I was going to say. In 1986, Paramount, who right now is clinging to the hopes that Paramount Plus will save them, or that Fast and Furious will save them. Oh, no, that's Universal. Never mind. I don't know what Paramount has. Mission Impossible, maybe? Yeah. In 1986, Paramount Ooh. Pictures had six out of the ten highest-grossing movies out of the year. They were running the table on Disney and everybody else, and now they're kind of just pinning their hopes on Paramount Plus, and, you know? barely getting by i think so like i said these things change 10 years from now disney might be yep. back at the bottom who knows you never know anyways this it, this too shall pass there will be a time something will happen feige will quit will retire something they'll lose the vision marvel will fall away again i'm just going to enjoy it while i've got it okay right. like i want it to last as long as it can I, it's not going to last forever. It may not even last through my entire lifetime. Probably it won't. But I'm like, I'm going to enjoy it while I got it, you know. And I'm not, I'm not going to wish for its destruction. <laughs> and not just, just Marvel, my but superheroes movies in general as a genre will go the same yeah. way that westerns did, Fail. the same way that you know. And then Actually, yeah, the- either something new will take its place or something else will return. Maybe we'll have. 15 years it, it of may, westerns are the biggest thing again who knows i don't know it it may it may die down to one movie every couple of years and 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 go to television the way that say like gangster crime and gangster movies did 
is that they left the movie theaters and fell into the into the TV with like um you know with like the Sopranos and stuff like that and maybe it'll come back and maybe it won't but it's like it it, it will move as the market dictates and as the people who are making it want to make it and it may come that in 10 years marvel fails and five years after that somebody else comes in with a with a, a strong vision and restarts it and maybe that won't happen so it's like we can't predict it we're never going to know so let's just go with what we got while it's happening you know and kind of thing like and let's just keep making good stuff which is currently what marvel is still managing to do a decade later with an entire cast change and they're still making good work you know so They've got something going on. 28 Emmy nominations, don't lie. Yeah. Anyway, Thor. <laughs> is this the is this the only Marvel movie that kind of starts in media res like this and then goes back cuz it starts we start in the desert with Jane Foster and Eric Selvig and out in the truck and they hit Thor and then we jump back to how did Thor get to Earth? Do any of the Would other Would you consider Captain America starting like that? Cuz it starts with the finding of the ship? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. It doesn't happen often, I guess, is is what I'm saying. It it's, it jumped out at me as being something that we don't see a lot in the Marvel movies that I no. can recall. No, as a structure, it's something that I think it's only going to ever work in the origin movies, and they've moved past the origin movies, so they don't really need to do it as bad as much. That's fair. Mm. It's weird, to, and we're not going to... When we're doing... When I do like a bad little movie that nobody's ever heard of, I'll go through the plot in kind of great detail. Yeah, we I don't feel like need to, a ton yeah. of, like this is a very popular movie that many, many people have seen. I don't, you know, I'm just going to hit some points along the way. I don't think we need to dissect it scene by scene or anything like I usually do. I do find it strange just as a comic guy that Jane Foster is an astrophysicist and not like an ER doctor. She's yeah. still a doctor technically. She has a PhD, I guess, but I don't know. It, I guess they needed that sort of for where, the way they were doing this story i i think the the more um intimate um relationship that was imbued in her being an er doctor and and the 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 comic book origin of thor and how he came to be on earth um does just doesn't work in in a like they don't have uh, a year's worth of comics to flesh that out. They've got an hour and a half or two hours, right? And so, no, I agree. It does seem weird to me too, but it's like, I get why that change was made and why it works in the MCU and why it wouldn't necessarily, why it would seem almost too abrupt in a comic because a comic is a link, much lengthier form of narrative. It's a different narrative style, requires a different jumping in point, you know? Yeah, and I suppose she was introduced in the comics because he was on Earth in disguise as Dr. Donald Blake and they worked together or whatever, yeah. which is taken out of this. That whole aspect is not in this at all other than a little name drop kind of fan service joke along the way. Um, yeah, which honestly was a good decision because that would take so much explanation. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like this movie... I mean, you talk about your three-act structure. This is structured kind of perfectly because the half hour mark i was checking the half hour mark is where we are done with the thor and asgard stuff we've set all that up and now we're back to him on earth it was a fish out of water like and that's at the half hour mark and then at the 60 minute mark is him getting the hammer back and fighting destroyer so that the last act is him back in asgard dealing with loki and all of that so it's it's structured really well that way and paced really well. Yep. 
I mean, that's Brana, man. You're not going to, like, the guy's, the guy understands structure. I mean, a lot of what we think of as modern narrative structure was cribbed from Shakespeare, and Shakespeare was cribbing it from the Italians. So it's like... We see the big uh, Asgard versus Jotunheim battle that took place long ago that Asgard won, and the Frost Giants have kind of been licking their wounds ever since. Real kind of Lord of the Rings feeling right off the top. Especially a lot of the armor looks very Lord of the Rings as well, design-wise. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Asgardians in particular look very much like the elves. Yeah, especially with the lots of gold and the just the angles of things and yeah, uh, cask of Everwinter. Like again, tell mm-hmm. this is why I love this shit, and it's such a stupid little detail that most people are like, whatever, whatever that even is. But if you told twelve year old Heath that you're gonna see the cask of fucking Everwinter in a movie, like impossible, impossible, you're lying to me. No one would do that, but here it is, like. It's just there's so much lore and history and stuff through in Marvel Comics yep. and to see little pieces of it come to life like this is just a very joyful thing for a fucking nerd like me. Like it's there's nothing wrong oh, with yeah. that. And Thor Thor was never even one of my most favorite was was never one of my favorite characters. I'm not a big fan of OP characters. Like to me they're boring, the ones who have too much power are boring. But it's like this movie just is like, even if you didn't know and love Thor, it made you know and love Thor, <laughs> you know, and, and love the little details and the lore and stuff, you know, so it's great, you know? Yeah, and there's specifically Marvel's version of Thor, because, I mean, and Disney is very good at taking public domain things like Cinderella and Snow White, you know, old fairy tales, and mm-hmm. making them their own thing that is our thing now, but... yeah. Marvel did that in the 60s with Thor. They went, you know, okay, we have all these superheroes. <laughs> Why not Thor, which is this ancient myth? You know, Thor's not a character they made up, but the world sort of around him, or Loki or or Odin, but the little touches that they, that Stanley and Jack Kirby and everyone since have added to it that made it Marvel's Thor specifically separate and different from yes. the mythological Thor. That's an interesting thing to think about i guess yeah i mean as, as someone who grew up on norse mythology and, and and grew up with a lot of these you know characters it's like it, it it's it's like it's a version it's a not it's a slightly sanitized version of thor because the mythological thor is not a nice dude in a lot of ways <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a version of thor that's interesting it's actually more complex and more interesting than the kind of archetype that we have through the mythology which is more complex but also sort of um you know can only act in certain ways and there's more humanity to thor in Mar- so marvel did is marvel gave thor humanity which is nice yeah he gets to learn lessons in a way that the archetype the mythological thor that had to be passed down through generation generation of the nordic people couldn't because he had to be you know this one strict thing that he was so. yeah he represents an archetype of existence and not and not a thick person you know and marvel Thor is a person with flaws and interests and needs and wants and uh occasionally makes jokes <laughs> and such but it's like yeah well and he's i mean he's a character that has i was gonna say character growth across all the movies but i feel like 
it's maybe focalized in this one. Well, he kind of learns a little something in every movie probably, but you know, this is the one where he starts as the arrogant, I know everything. I'm going to I'm going to be king and I'm the greatest warrior and this and that and is very laid low and humbled and has to become worthy again, which is kind of the whole thing of it. So, learning that humility It's it's, it's the beginning of his it's the beginning of his journey to understanding that A he's not meant to rule, that that's not his skill set is to be a ruler and and be the beginning of his understanding of what actually is important to him which is that he loves Asgard, he loves its people, and he loves his brother very much, but he's discovered that there's more to his world than just being the king of Asgard, which would normally be something that was expansive, but to him is a trap. And so this is the beginning of that story. So yeah, that's the story that grows in Thor as we move onward through those movies, is that is Thor recognizing that he can't be what his father wants him to be, he has to be more than that. But he also he also sees the damage that lusting for power does because that's what Loki is doing. He sees the damage that does to someone's psyche and how it it cuz he I think he knows even in this movie that his brother loves him, but his brother's lust for power is more important to him, you know, than loyalty. So, it's interesting. It all goes well. Um did you ever hear the story about um, the first time that the three of them, um, Hemsworth and Hiddleston and, um, uh, oh God, I just blanked on the name of the woman who plays Jane. Natalie oh, Portman. Natalie Portman. Oh my God. Thank you. So Natalie Portman and Hemsworth and Hiddleston went to meet Kenneth Branagh at his home. No, um, cause that. he, he, he called the three of them in to talk about it and basically just got them into a room and said, I'm going to sit down and talk to Natalie Portman. Two of you go out and hang out in my, in my, you know, essentially hang out on my estate. And Hillston and Hemsworth, who had never met, were like, what? And he's like, yeah, go chop wood or something. I can't remember the exact thing. It was like, go do this thing. Go walk around my estate or something. And they were like, okay. <laughs> then they walked out together and so they came back friends. And that was, that was like when he knew it was all going to work together. Because he just like, I'm going to talk to Natalie for a while. Because like, she was the serious actor. I mean, Hailstone was a serious actor, but he was almost unknown. And Hemsworth was literally unknown. He's like, I'm going to talk to Natalie for a while. You guys just go off and do things. And they came back as friends. And I think I've always thought it, 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 it was something that, that had to be established before you could even shoot this film. Because if you do not believe that Loki and Thor love each other, you don't have a movie. Well, and it's also, I mean, to, to anyone who would question if Brana was the right choice for this, like this is Shakespearean shit. All the stuff we just said about Thor, oh, yeah. you know, Loki lusting for power and who's going to be like their father. And like, that's, Brana knows this shit. He wakes up yeah. saying it and dreams about it when he falls asleep. Like this is, this is his I, wheelhouse. <laughs> Nobody should have done huh. the first Thor movie other than Kenneth Branagh. I'd be like, <laughs> I, identity and the, the, you know, the heavy is the head that wears the crown and personal identity and, and responsibility and, you know, loyalty versus personal needs and lust and greed and power. Like, yeah, that's pretty much all of Shakespeare right there. You know? Oh, God, I'd forgotten how beautiful Asgard looks. Right? It's designed, God, really, it's it's designed really well. Yeah. No, I haven't heard heard that story, but I have heard an Anthony Hopkins story where he said in an interview, they were asking about the Thor movies. He said, oh, those movies are, I think he calls it RNA or no. Yeah, RNA. No. Or N-O-R. 
no acting required. <laughs> so, but he kept coming back. So obviously he enjoyed doing them. But I think he's selling himself short because he's, I don't know. I, I feel like he's on fire in this movie. He has, especially his one line delivery of like when Thor is, at, so the, the Jotuns sneak in and they try to steal the Casagman Everwinter back and the destroyer armor comes out and kills them and Thor and Loki and Odin come running in and they have an argument about, because Thor's like, well, we need to go to Jotunheim and teach them that they can't break in and try to steal our shit. And Odin is like, no, no, we have a truce with them. They didn't get very far. It's no big deal. And Thor's like, Thor's thinking like a warrior. I'm going to go smash their heads, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, no, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like a king or something like that. And Hopkins' delivery of, but you're not king, not yet. Is so good. Like he's like he's on fire in this movie. I don't care if he says that he didn't even have to act. He just showed up and looked at the camera. I don't know, but I I would argue that probably for him at this point in his career, this is such a muscle memory that he can deliver those kind of lines as though it is effortless, almost forgetting the fact that he's got what 50, 60 years of of built up behind it. He is acting. He's just so good at what he does it doesn't seem like there's an effort to it to him anymore and I'm, it's not like there's but he has a, even a lot to do but everything he does he does it well like I, as i said i've always i've always flipped back to that um line in thor ragnarok what are you the god of hammers you know his delivery of that line <laughs> still to this day like resonates in my head are you the god of hammers you know like come on kid get it together <laughs> Yeah, and his, I guess, effortless to someone like Anthony Hopkins looks to everyone else like, <laughs> how am I going to how am I gonna keep up with him on set today, you know? And meanwhile, he was yeah. like, I'm sure Hiddleston and Hemsworth were both like, oh my God, it's Anthony Hopkins. Oh my God, it's Anthony. don't fuck up, don't fuck up. And he was just there yeah. like, all right, let's do this. One, two, three, blah, blah, blah. You're not king, I'm king, you know? Like just zippity-doo-dah yeah. back to his trailer. And they were like, just saw brilliance, you know? So, but to him, it's like, it's Tuesday, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like it's not like he's got like a co- complex blocking to memorize even ever. He's like, go stand over there, deliver this line, walk this way. You know, it's like, yes, yeah, so I'm sure to him it felt effortless. It's not. Yeah, we got Tom Hiddleston, who I mean, this is timed pretty well considering Loki just ended and he's a huge star now and everybody loves him. But he was kind of fairly unknown in this. This is definitely a star-making turn for him. He's great in it. Baby-faced Hiddleston in this movie. You forget. Oh, yeah. He looks He looks so young. <laughs> I mean, it was only 10 years he ago. He looks like a but kid. You, but the difference between how he looks in this and how he looks in Loki, you're like, oh, wow, he was a baby in the, in the first Thor movie. Like, he's, he's very baby-faced. Hemsworth, too, kind of, but... Yeah, they both um they both aged into the roles in ways that works very well. Hemsworth in particular, I actually never liked the way Hemsworth looked in this movie. I always, for some reason, almost felt like he looked he looked too childish in this movie. And then as he's gotten older and as Thor has gotten as he's his Thor is better now than it was when it started. But at the same time, you fully understand why you would look at this guy and go, Oh, oh yeah, that's Thor. Like he just he looks like Thor. <laughs> like, you get it. Like, oh, okay, good. And, oh, he can act, too. Excellent. You know? Yeah, and they hadn't quite figured out how funny he is yet. He gets a couple jokes here and there, but it's not until, I think, well, Ragnarok for sure, but I think also heading into, like, the the Avengers movies that they realized that, like, oh, fucking Hemsworth is funny. Give him some fun. Give him some jokes because he's a funny guy. 
Oh yeah, he's got impeccable comic timing. He's his comic timing is absolutely impeccable. But yeah, there is something about the way he looks in this one. I think they hadn't quite figured out the hair and the beard and the eyebrows, especially. There's something about that bothers me that looks different from the other yeah, movies. Yeah, same thing here. It's the beard or something. I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It's just something about the way they did him up in this movie that always was like, eh. I think it's, I, I don't know. It's one of the reasons why I've never, I've never considered Hemsworth to be much of a, as much of a sex symbol as some people do. It's like, I think he's a very good looking guy, but I'm like, eh. It's never really done anything for me. I think it's because the first time I saw him in store, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. But they got there. The Destroyer armor, which we see a little bit towards the beginning and a lot more towards the end, is also designed so well, but all, but also taken... The, I, th- I feel, for me as a fan, I feel like this movie, maybe more than any of the others, is lifted right off the page of the comics with very little changes oh, yeah. like loki's costume is perfect the destroyer looks like exactly how he looks in the identical comics. yeah which mm. and even like even Mjolnir, and it looks good too yeah it looks very cool and i think yeah. mjolnir would have been something i think somebody like a Zack snyder or a different you know well i'm not even gonna Forget I even said that name. Yeah, but a different. Yeah, better put that one down and walk away. Yeah, <laughs> a different, a different <laughs> filmmaker would have made, would have designed Mjolnir to look a lot cooler. You know, it would have like, I don't know, it would just be more like streamlined and spiky and shiny and like they just made it look kind of plain. I mean, it has the engravings and stuff on it, but it doesn't look necessarily like this. Oh, it super looks God like the comic book Mjolnir. Yeah, it looks like Mjolnir from the comics is what it looks like. Is It is just the Mjolnir from the comics, which is, frankly, not a very good Warhammer. <laughs> not what a Warhammer should look like, really. It's a mallet. <laughs> but, oh, That's actually funny. So I, just got, so I just got to a bit where he throws Mjolnir for the first time, and I'm like, you can tell he, he, didn't, have the, he didn't have the grace with it yet because it doesn't look good. And I'm like, oh, he really learned how to throw that thing in later movies. <laughs> Like, like, just you're like, oh, that kind of looked weak there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, this might be the one where they're like, shit, we got to get a Thor movie out before we can do Avengers. So let's, I think maybe some things in this movie were maybe a little rushed because you know, like we said, Thor maybe is look look is a little off. Maybe some of the CGI is a little off. Maybe he could have used more training with a hammer. Who knows? But they were probably kind of under the under the gun on this one, maybe. The Bifrost design is cool because in the comics oh. you say a rainbow bridge and it's literally just it's a rainbow, but to have it in here yeah. where everything is sort of magic and technology mixed together and it's this glass bridge that you can see the rainbow pattern sort of coursing through, is cool. It's cool looking. It's cool. It's a cool way to do it without making it look preposterous, like it came from a My Little Pony cartoon or something. Like, yeah, it looks beautiful in a way that you would expect something that was divine to look but it's it's what it comes down to me is is like as is is marvel does sweat the details they always have they've always considered every little thing and they make all the little things work and it's like it's beautiful it's respectful for the comics it's respectful of the mythology and it it looks good on film and it's like that's why you take care of those small details that's why they matter because in every single Marvel movie ever made, there's always been at least one moment where I felt like Marvel pointed at me and went, hey, you? And 
it's it's in those small details it's in the respect and honor of the small details hey we love you you're important to us you know yeah we get some important setup here for the third act as far as heimdall cool ass idris elba looking cool as always oh explaining to them that like we have to like i can send you to jotunheim that's fine but I can't leave the bridge open behind you. I have to close it and wait for you to signal me to open it again because if we leave the power of the Bifrost pointed at a planet for a long time, it's going to rip the planet apart because it's basically a wormhole that we're creating. So, yeah. Which is important setup for Loki's kind of endgame in the third act. But done in an elegant way that you don't really think about. It doesn't really register. Is like, oh, that seems like important information I'm going to need for later. It's just... The conversation that they're having so that's done pretty well i feel like and this movie's whole kind of because there's two different mentions or conversations about it in the movie between thor and jane foster and i think somebody else it's another point that magic is just science that we don't understand yet or something or that and yeah. then thor says that asgard is a place where magic and science are the same thing i disagree because what loki is doing is is just magic there's no technology yeah. <laughs> or anything. Like he's just cast. He's casting spells and illusions and controlling people's minds. Like there's no technology involved with that. He's a sorcerer. So <laughs> I agree. It's it's um it's um I think that at this point in there in the in in Marvel, I think they may still have been debating behind the scenes how much actual magic they wanted to be in the world. So they were giving themselves that out. And now with Doctor Strange, they're like, ah, oh, hell, there's magic. It's all fine. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't until Doctor Strange came along that like, okay, we're doing magic now. And I wonder if there's part of the Kevin Feige that regrets that they were gun-shy about it when they made Thor and that they weren't able to just go, you know, I think they wanted to have be more accessible to people and be more in line with, you know, because so far we have Iron Man, which is all technology. And that was kind of all we had because Captain America hadn't come out yet, right? It was just... At this point, it was just Iron Man, Hulk, and Iron Man 2, and then Thor was next, right? Yeah. So uh, no, I, wasn't Captain America next? No, you're right. It was Thor. Yeah, Captain America was between Thor and the First Avengers. So yeah. everything Captain America been... was always the one that... Yeah. Captain America was always the one that frightened me. I, was when they, I never thought they were going to pull it off. I thought, you know, they could probably make a decent Thor movie, but I'm like, they're never going to pull off Cap. <laughs> boy, boy, was I wrong. Yeah, for sure. I feel like Thor was probably the one that they were worried about, though, and that's probably part of why yes. they toned the magic stuff down and made it more sort of sciencey because everything had been science before this, and so you've got you've got the audience, you've got them on your technology hook, and then to suddenly go and now gods and magic <laughs> instead of high tech science and aliens from outer space is what they're not really gods. Don't worry, they just come from outer space. So. Yeah. They kind yeah. of rained I think it might have been a it might have been a good decision in some ways because I think it's just the problem with magic Thor is like I said he's too overpowered if he is an actual divinity and he is you know magic is that he's he's why isn't everything just solved by magic then so it's like I I, I, res, I kind of think that yeah you're right they probably were gun shy but it was probably in the end a happy accident because it does let them pull back his power levels that he's not just like the the problem with any OP character, why don't they just come in and punch the bad guy to death? You know? That's why I don't like OP characters. It's too simple an explanation for everything. Uh, we got 
Laufey, the king of the Frost Giants, who's played by, you wouldn't even know it, I totally forgot. Colm Fjord. Colm Fjord, another, you know. Another good Canadian boy. Another known <laughs> and kind of, you know, acclaimed. Extremely highly there. respected actor. Yeah. but buried, Very highly respected actor. Yeah. Buried, buried under makeup and with a, you know, doing stuff with his voice to sound scary. So you don't, I think without IMDb, you might not even know it was him, you know? So. That, that scene just played, that section just played out as I was watching it. And he actually gives even with all of that, that's a really interesting performance because there's layers to the emotion that he is delivering. I can hear it and I can see it in his eyes. Even that's how good the actors they were getting were. Even under all that makeup, you still had a guy who was delivering subtlety. Yeah, and that's the thing with the the quality of the Marvel movies is is they're not fucking around. They said, we're going to make a Thor movie. They're not like, okay, let's get, who could Thor be? I don't know, some bodybuilder or MMA fighter. And then, how about who's Odin going to be? I don't know. Eric Roberts? Who gives a shit? It's Odin. You know what I mean? Like, they went, no, we want... Some old guy, yeah. We want Anthony Hopkins, one of the greatest actors alive, to be on screen for 10 minutes on our movie, and we'll pay him whatever he asks for, because that's who we want. Because we want this to yeah. be good. And probably Absolutely. working with Brana was... I don't know if... I'm trying to think if they... If Hopkins and Brana had worked together before or not, but... That was they probably, would certainly know each other. I would yeah. imagine so, they, yeah. So yeah. that probably didn't hurt. Yeah. yeah, so Thor has taken his Loki and his buddies despite his dad's, despite Odin's urgings not to and orders not to, goes and picks a fight with Jotunheim, which doesn't go particularly well because they're very outnumbered. Odin, daddy has to come and save the day. It was like when you got in a fight in the schoolyard, but you lived across the street from the school and your dad could see you from the window and he came over and broke the fight up. That's what it's like. Yeah. Not yeah. speaking from experience or anything. <clears throat> <laughs> so daddy is very mad and sees that Thor has not, because we're supposedly days away from him ascending to the throne and becoming king. And Odin has decided like, no, this was the last straw. You are not ready for this. Like, I don't want to be king yeah. anymore, but you cannot be king. And of course, the whole mm-hmm. time, silently, Loki's in the corner going, well, then why can't I be king? <laughs> Which we'll find out why. But to him, it's just, yeah. he's always in the shadow of his older brother. It's relatable stuff, man. But so he strips strips him of his power. What's cool is, a thing that I like about this that I don't know how much of it, well, I guess it kind of was in the comics because he was Donald Blake, a skinny doctor with a cane who would then, boom, turn into Thor when he touched the hammer. But as far as, like, the armor going on him and stuff, because a big thing that people who didn't like Jason Aaron's Thor run, where Jane Foster became Thor, which, first off, they're wrong, because that entire run is fantastic. They're very wrong, yeah. Mm -hmm. But part of their thing was like, well, how can a lady be Thor? Thor's Thor. Well, no, the whole thing of the hammer is whoever is worthy to hold this hammer becomes Thor. That's what the thing says. And that includes the armor in the in this movie. That includes the armor coming on you and the cape and the whole shebang. And without it, you're just in like street clothes. So I like that touch as well. That it's not like that's mm-hmm. just how he dresses all the time. That's how he's dressed because the hammer has dressed him that way. That's pretty cool. He's embodying the power of the... When you embody the power of the hammer, you embody the, the physical appearance of the hammer as well, essentially, almost, you know? So yeah, so he's stripped of the hammer. He's stripped of his 
strength and immortality. He's stripped of his armor and he's exiled to Earth by Dad. But Odin still, whether this is part of some grand plan of his or just because he loves his son, he leaves the back door open where he whispers to the hammer, you know, basically gives... Be he worthy. He builds a back door into this exile plan that, like, if he learns his lesson, he can come home. <laughs> like, you know? Mm-hmm. The problem, he, the problem isn't that you, the, the problem is in you. And I, it's like, I, I'm not going to permanently exile my son, but he still has to grow up first, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and if it takes you a thousand years, who cares? We're gods. You'll, you'll figure it out, you know? Because a harsher punishment would have been to send him to Earth, but keep the hammer in Asgard, because then he would have just been screwed. <laughs> but to send the hammer yeah. there after him, like, okay, you can go and retrieve this and come home when you're ready and you've learned what you need to learn and you stop being such an asshole. Yeah. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, and that's... We that's the first thirty minutes of the movie. It's all the Asgard stuff. Now he's we're back where we started with him getting hit by the truck, and so it must be very. It's a very humbling. It's also funny, but it's a very humbling moment for Thor, who five minutes ago was invulnerable and immortal and fighting frost giants. Now he's, and in the span of the next ten minutes, is hit not once but twice by a truck, and tasered, and injected with sedatives by a doctor in a pretty funny <laughs> like this guy won't i always down. thought it was i always thought it was funny that they tasered him because it's like the god of lightning and he gets taken down by electricity i hadn't even thought of that but yeah that's an extra layer of that's pretty good yeah that's, that's funny now I, there's a lot of people i know who really love darcy as a character she's not one of my favorite characters i like her i like her a lot but there's a lot of people that are like very passionate about darcy as a character and i think i liked her best in this movie where they toned down a little bit of the sort of almost slapstick aspect that her personality got in Dark World. But um, I watching this again, I'm like, oh yeah, now I, I kind of remember why why that character would inspire the amount of passion that's inspired in, among some people. It's like it just it's she's 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 fun. She's interesting. She's a nice side character, you know? She doesn't <laughs> Yeah, I was never terribly pro or con either way on Darcy, but um, she is another example of Another thing that I really like about Marvel is that they have learned to not throw anything away because her showing up again yeah. in WandaVision after coming from being in two of the Thor movies and not in the third one. And she sort of became this forgotten character. And then, you know, they they know they have puzzle pieces on the table that they yes. can pick up. And Marvel, plug in Marvel, does, Marvel does not waste. They do waste not want not. They do not waste a good character. They're not, they're not scared to introduce new characters. They're not scared to do new things with them, but they're not going to like, okay, this is somebody that has, it, it, it adds the feeling of the layers of the universe that this is a shared universe and a, share, a shared fandom. And it, it, it adds to the, the, the joy, that little, again, the little serotonin spike you get with like, hey, it's so-and-so, you know? Like, I mean, it's, it's like me screaming giant man in the theater during mm -hmm. Civil War and like freaking out the kid next to me. Like, you know, like, giant man, you know, it's like, it's great. Like, no one's going to, like, I care about that, but it's like, you know, I love it. It's beautiful. I wonder. Oh, now there. I wonder. Sorry, Chris if... just has his shirt off. It might take a minute here. <laughs> sure. <laughs> he he will kidding. take, he will take his shirt off a number of times. That's, but why would, yes. I mean, you worked hard to get that body, man. Show it off. It's fine with me. Oh, yeah. And it's God, only fair. Yeah. We've had decades and decades of women running around with no shirts on, so he'd let the man 
take his shirt off. It's fine. I I've often I've often said that one of Marvel's greatest innovations in these movies is the understanding of that the uh, the the um, objectifying gaze is not necessarily just for heterosexual men. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, it is oddly. I guess. But it's still, but at the same time, it's also kind of reinforcing that weird double standard that this is, these are family films. These are films children can go to. And there's not going to be even a woman's midriff in any of these movies, but we got these hunky hunks, bohunks running around with no shirts on, which is, yes, you know, which is. Because when women, when women show skin, it's (laughs) only sexual. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, that's interesting to me. I wonder if Feige looks back and kind of regrets some of the early villains that they killed off knowing that they like to use every part of the animal and they don't like to waste anything and they like to bring stuff back and do little connections in interesting ways i wonder if they wish that's how you do fan service i wonder if they if they wish they hadn't killed off like obadiah stain or someone you know because they killed a lot of the it would certainly look like abomination was killed by the hulk at the end of the incredible hulk but apparently not because he's coming up in shang chi i actually it's interesting. I actually did a um, I did a breakdown because I, I that's a complaint that's always bothered me. Marvel kills all its villains, and it's actually considerably less than forty percent. Almost, almost, all, considerably less than forty percent of all Marvel movies end with either the villain alive, or uh, or ambiguously alive. The old fell off a cliff. Yeah, if, and and. Yes, with all it, it uh, and that's one thing I always tell all my non-comic book friends. I'm like, you understand, in any comic book, anything that is inspired by a comic book, unless you physically have the body rotting in front of you, they're not dead. <laughs> yeah, and here, and even sometimes when they are, <laughs> that balance of having to please the fans but also please newcomers. I think it's an interesting thing. I think it's led to some interesting decisions i know a big complaint that a lot of people had about black widow was they hated taskmaster they hated that taskmaster was turned out to just be this spoilers for black widow if you haven't seen black widow anybody turns out to be just this woman that we don't really know anything about but at the same time anyone who's ever read a comic knows all this stuff going in like when the first uh spider-man far from home trailers came out and you would see people like oh mysterio is this cool new hero and if you've ever read a comic in your life, you know that Mysterio is not a hero. He's the villain of the movie, obviously. How do you not know that? Because they don't know that. Because they never read a fucking comic book, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. I recently got into a fight with someone who didn't know that Dune was a book. <laughs> Yikes. But no, yeah. whatever. I mean, it should be for everybody. That's fine. But, like, because, yeah. like, I would love, love if they did a Thunderbolts TV show or movie where Baron Zemo gathers up a bunch of villains that we've seen in the other movies and dresses them up in different costumes and pretends that they're heroes. And the reveal at the end of the first episode is, oh shit, it's Baron Zemo and all these bad guys. That was a great, that was one of the best reveals in comic book history when that comic Mm -hmm. came out. But I don't know if you can do that as a show because it's going to be spoiled immediately because anyone who knows the comics is going to be telling everyone else in the world, no, 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 they're not heroes. Those are bad, you know? So it's that balancing act they have to do to also surprise the hardcore fans, the comic book fans as well, leads them to do things that then some comic fans get mad about because they had to change things. But if they don't, you know everything that's going to happen. So 
they have to change some things. And and here's the thing: is that task just just really quickly? I won't get off on it because we're talking about Thor. But that Taskmaster change had a specific narrative purpose with the theme of the movie that fit and worked. I am not the world's biggest Black Widow fan. I have my problems with it. I'm actually writing a whole like an article about it, um, but not for that reason. That change because okay, here's the other thing: Tony Masters is a stupid fucking character. I'm sorry, Taskmaster is stupid. Is this he is the stupidest fucking character? I, like I, I don't understand why people get on about him, but that's beside the point. That's just me. And I'm like, I have no problem with any change that is made for the purpose of in of injecting more energy into a theme or a narrative or a story arc that you need. It's a it's comic books. If you don't understand that everything can change at the drop of a hat, how many times has every single one of these characters died? in a comic sure and they're still around yeah i had no problem with that trade because i mean i i like taskmaster as a character i think it's a cool looking character i think his power set is cool you know but he's a faceless oh his power set yes his power set is magnificent as a villain he's a great villain but he's a faceless nameless character that i don't beyond his powers and his look i could not give less of a shit about so whoever's inside that exactly does not matter to me as long as they look yes. that way and they can do those moves, then it it's a great power set. It shouldn't it's matter. A, and, and the thing is, is it, Tony, I'm not talking about Taskmaster. I like Taskmaster. The character inside of Taskmaster is this um, Frankenstein amalgamation of a bunch of bullshit that uh, they just go, oh, we have to make him a character now. But it's like, no, Taskmaster is just a bad guy. Great, good. And and I, you know, I like that. I, I, I don't know. I think that giving giving interesting new giving us interesting new takes on certain characters is one of the powers of mcu has had because the characters are different like even in thor like as i said they depower thor for the movies because you have to because if thor is as powerful as he is in the comic books he he, there's no movie it just ends with and then thor takes his power back and kills the bad guy so it's like the changes that are being made are not being made in an arbitrary manner or they're not being made for pointless reasons. They're being made because it's better for the narrative. It's better for a movie than it is for a comic book. So it's like, I don't know. I, I, there are very few decisions that have, that have been made by Marvel that I disagree with. The couple that I obviously do are, um, I really wish there'd been more black characters and I always, I always want there to be more characters that aren't white men. And uh, I I would have changed Hawkeye's origin, but that's just me as a Mockingbird fan. <laughs> I won't get into that because I could just I'll talk about that for an hour and I'll never get a word well, in. <laughs> well, we'll get to Hawkeye here pretty soon. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I had forgotten momentarily when I asked you to do the Thor episode that this was the first appearance of Hawkeye, and I should have remembered that because you were very very excited My boy! to do this. <laughs> My boy! Mjolnir has landed out in the. New Mexico desert, and there's a redneck sword in the stone party going on where they're everybody's getting drunk and trying but to pull this thing out. Makes perfect sense. We would do that. That's what would happen. Of course. <laughs> There'd be a fucking barbecue with a kegger going on. Hey, man, see if you can pull it up. <laughs> and here we also get the return of Agent Coulson, who was previously in Iron Man 2, and the the post credit scene on Iron Man 2 is him looking at the hammer in the desert and calling in, you know, to Nick Fury or whoever to say they found it. So he's bringing in S.H.I.E.L.D. to build a base on top of this thing and kicking all the yeah the rednecks off. 
and um, <laughs> so that they can study because they're still learning. I guess in the timeline, they've only known since they met Captain Marvel that like, oh shit, there's aliens. <laughs> like, oh no. So, other than probably some dusty old files at Shield headquarters that uh, Agent Carter did back in the day, but so it hasn't been. I, so they're actually, still very much looking for any signs of things and threats and or also potential teammates because he is putting the Avengers initiative together at this point. Yes, and that's actually something I was going to point out when I was talking about Darcy too, which is that um, that uh, one of the reasons why I think that both Colston and Darcy uh, became very popular characters is that they are the um, self-insert characters for a lot of the audience. Yeah. Um, and and those are and that's actually something that is important that I think has one of the reasons why some of the other attempts at this have failed is because if you look at some of the other attempts to build these shared universes you're not given a self-insert character in a lot of them. It's always just this various flavor of godling or monster. And it's like, there is there is a value to having a character that can speak solely as just this person who is in the middle of this bizarre chaos. It's actually one of the, one of Hawkeye's lines from Age of Ultron that I always saw people quote, which is like, he's like, I have a bow and arrow and the city is flying. You know, like, you just see this moment where you see the humanity behind it. He's like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to die. But I got to go out there and do my job. You know? And there's a moment of humanity in that. That is, it is one of the things that's always, Marvel's always been very good at is, is finding the humanity in these absolutely ludicrously silly things, you know? And it's like, that's how you make, that's how you center them. And I think Thor does that a quite well actually oddly enough by having you know, Thor get tasered and get hit by cars and like smashing the coffee cups and all that it's like you just keep bringing it down to well yeah I guess it would be kind of weird if you were from Asgard now you were in this town in Arizona yeah I think that was a big part of what made Marvel Comics take off so much in the 60s was that people who read comics then you know were used to especially DC comics at the time were very ludicrous stories, all kinds of crazy, I mean, almost unrecognizable to what you would think of as Superman and Batman today, story-wise. But, you know, and then along came Spider-Man, who's a high school kid with a bully and a dead uncle. And, you know, all, yeah. all the characters have these very human aspects that Superman and Batman and the Flash and all the, you know, all the DC characters at that time really didn't have. They were just kind of goofy god characters and the humanity was kind of reintroduced to them later on, you know, to kind of not yeah. necessarily to copy Marvel, I'm saying, but that's what helped Marvel and made it so successful early on was like, oh, shit, I can relate to Spider-Man. He's like me. Like, I'm Superman's not like me. Spider-Man is like me. I any yeah. All my friends could be Spider-Man. I don't know anybody who could be Superman. So that's always kind as, of as been somebody... that magic spice that Stanley brought to it. As I as I recently heard somebody say, not recently as I heard somebody say that that one of the fundamental differences between the two universes of the big two is that Marvel has always been telling stories of humans trying to be gods and DC's always been telling stories of gods trying to be human. That's very good. Yeah, because yeah. the there's a lot of yeah. issues with the Justice League movie, but one of them, I think, is that like you were saying, that point of view character, that self insert character, is the Flash. There's none. Is and, the Flash, who's the comic relief and can also run at the speed of light. So, like, that's not a very good self-insert, you know. That's not, I don't feel yeah. particularly related to him at all. So, 
there, there's um there's a backhanded attempt to make that Zasol insert character to be Batman, and I'm like, oh, that's never gonna work. <laughs> no, you know, you way, can't just suddenly change Batman's character like that. You know, way too much baggage attached to that character to ever <laughs> make him the self insert. Colson in this is a little more scary and comes across as a little more of a kind of the dark side of shield almost like a bad guy than he does in the other movies he's you know especially when you get to avengers and he has his captain america trading cards and makes his noble sacrifice and he's a fun guy but in this one he's very like he's the government spook who shows up and like steals all your shit because you saw something you weren't supposed to see (laughs) so he's a little more Mm hard-nosed in this one yeah yeah this is uh very much uh company man colson Back in uh, yeah. Asgard, we've got we learn Loki's secret origin, which is that because when the when they were fighting on Jotunheim, he got his arm turned blue because a frost giant cold touched him, and that that was weird and disturbing to him because it didn't happen to anyone else. So he's gone and he grabs the cask of Enter Everwinter, which should freeze him and hurt him, but it doesn't. It just turns him blue. He looks like a frost giant. And Odin is there, and they have a confrontation where we learn that. Lofi is, or Lofi, Loki is adopted. He's not Odin's son. He was sort of the spoils of war at the end of Asgard's war with Jotunheim. Odin found this child alone and crying and took it, A, out of the goodness of his own heart, but B, also as a bargaining chip, knowing it was Lofi's son of, like, it was the old medieval thing of, like, you're going to take my son and I'm going to take your son and then we'll never fight because we have each other's hostages, you know what I mean? So it was that kind of a deal, which obviously Loki does not take very well, and he can apply this new knowledge to look back at his entire life and see, oh, this is why Thor has always been your favorite. This is why I was never had a chance at the throne because I'm not even one of you. Like, I'm a frost giant. Which never yeah, really, and it, it's cool and interesting in this movie, but it never really, it kind of never comes up again in the other movies. Other than, it I mean, they the make few, jokes about him being adopted. The, it is one of the few threads that's dropped, although in, in, in Endgame it does become very important when he identifies himself as Loki Odinson. Because that's a moment when he's like, because he calls himself Lofreson before that, yeah. after he finds this out. And so that becomes an important character moment. But it is one of the few threads about Loki that has been dropped. And I'm wondering if they might pick it up again now that Loki's a TV series. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, it, has, it wasn't dropped in the sense that it just never has an effect on him again. Because like you said, it definitely does. Him sort of becoming coming to grips with that and wanting to be Odin's son again after kind of wanting him dead, (laughs) you know, that is part of his journey. But as far as him turning blue and having, you know, any sort of ice powers or any kind of, you know, that's never, we never see that again. So I feel like they kind of just got it out of the way. Yeah. The makeup looks really good, actually. I'm just noticing that. I'm like, he looks really good like that. It's a very nice look on him. But um, also, I mean, Tom Hiddleston looks so elfin and childlike in this that <laughs> he's just like, it's funny. It's really funny how kind of elfin and childlike he looks in this. <laughs> well, and I also think once people really kind of naturally latched on to Loki and were like, oh, he's my favorite character. Like, Thor and Odin can go whatever. I like Loki. You know, and Loki kind of became everybody's favorite that was obviously going to carry on through the other movies and get his own TV show and all that at every opportunity that they had to, because he's always waffling back and forth between is he a bad guy, is he a good guy, and he's the villain of the first Avengers movie, but then going into 
Ragnarok obviously is sort of his redemption again. So they never really wanted to turn him full back. I, so I think that's part of why we never see him blue again. Because, like, don't remind people that yeah. he's a frost giant. <laughs> like, people like him. We want to keep them on the Loki train. So during that confrontation between Loki and Odin in that conversation, Odin had what appeared to be a, a minor heart attack or something and passed out. Um, but what it is is we come to learn the Odin sleep. It's just a thing that happens every the, the way that these people or these gods, whatever, live forever is that every couple thousand years or something, they have to just go to sleep for a couple hundred years and like recharge or whatever. You know, it's the Odin sleep. It's a thing that happens. It's just coming at a very inopportune time because now mm-hmm. Thor is gone. Loki has has just been very much incentivized to <laughs> do some backdoor shenanigans and shady dealings. So he... Technically, I'm the prince. I'm the king now, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Which he says he never wanted. He'll repeat that many times through his career in these movies, including the TV show. But it's less about I want to rule because I want the power with that. It's just the acknowledgement. It's the I am not only one of you, but I'm the best of you. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm adopted or I was a frost giant or that. Thor is bigger and stronger than me, you know. That's the feeling he's after, not so much I want to rule all these little ants, you know. Inside. And he doesn't actually he doesn't he doesn't care about the responsibility, he cares about the privilege. Yeah, as as many many people in his position uh feel. Unfortunately, but he so he passes word along well, Sif and the Warriors 3 come in, and they are very surprised to see him on the throne, but he tells them what's going on. They decide, like, no, this is no good. Loki cannot be the king. He's a shady character. We never really trusted him. He's up to no good. We need to go and tell Thor about this and bring him back. Well, because first they ask Loki, they're like, okay, that's cool and all, but you should bring Thor back now, right? And he's like, well, my first order as king can't be to cancel out Odin's last order is king, so I'm afraid Thor's gonna have to stay where he's at for now, which is, I mean, it makes sense, but it's also pretty shady, <laughs> as Loki is wont to be. What's going on? What's going on back on Earth? Yeah, Thor overhears. Thor's been hanging out with Doctor Selvig and Jane Foster, and they've just kind of, I guess, been getting to know each other. And he overhears that, like, oh, something else fell out of space, and the government's out there, and we were trying to get it, and nobody could lift it. And he's like, oh, there's my hammer. I gotta go. And it's what he walks into a pet store and is like, give me a horse. And they're like, we don't have horses. <laughs> That's a pretty good bit. Yep. So he has no I ride. I need a horse. So Jane's gonna give him a ride, sort of against Selvig's protestation. Advice. Like, yeah. He's like, I think this yeah. guy is a lunatic. I think he's a crazy person and I don't, <laughs> you shouldn't be alone with him because he's talking about, like, I learned about all this stuff when I was a kid because I'm Norwegian or whatever. Well, it's Stellan Skarsgård, who, again, another acclaimed, like, they're not filling the roster with nobodies. This is, and he came back to do Avengers and he came back to do Thor too, you know? Yep. They cast, real, that, that's, I think, the secret mojo, the secret. You know, say what you want about any of the scripts. I think that say they what you tar- want about the direction, the characters themselves. Yeah. The casting of these movies from minute one until now has been impeccable. Sarah Haley Finn. 
Secret, the secret weapon of Marvel, Sarah Haley Finn, the casting director. Honestly, I, yeah. there's so many of and, these movies that I think would fall apart if you replaced one of the actors with a different act, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I love Edward Norton's Bruce Banner, but I think that it would have been a disaster to have him um, after that. I think Ruffalo was was what they needed just energy wise, because Norton is a great actor, but I, I've heard multiple times he can be a bit difficult to work with and he has got a, a very big ego. And I think that just would have failed within the gestalt of that of that uh, cast. But I think one of the secrets that Marvel has, as I said, is I think that they're probably aiming as high as possible with every single casting. Like, let's ask this Oscar winning actor if they want to do this, you know, because it's like, what's the worst thing you do? They're going to say no, we'll ask somebody else. What's the best thing that can happen? We'll get an Oscar winning actor in this movie, you know? Exactly. And I think something that paved the way for them in that were the X-Men movies. Because you could not have asked, when they said, who should be Professor X, if you said anything other than Patrick Stewart, you'd get hit with rocks. Like, so the fact that they got him, and that was years before there ever was an X-Men movie, the fact that they got him and he nailed it, you're like, oh, see, that's what we should be aiming for. You know, and then Hugh, and then sometimes you'll get the unknown who just works out perfect. Because can you imagine anyone else's Wolverine other than Hugh Jackman? Absolutely not. No, and that's why I don't want I don't want Logan recast. I want um, Daphne Keene. I want if we're gonna have Wolverine moving forward, I want it to be Laura Kinney. I don't want them to recast it. Leave it. Logan Logan went out in Logan the way he should, and let's move moving forward. Let's have Daphne Keene or Laura Kinney. But I mean, that's just a conversation for another. Sure. You know. Well, I mean, we can kind of go all over the place. I remember, like the fact well, that funny story Wolverine was supposed to be Do Gray Scott. And the only reason that he didn't go and be in the X-Men is because he broke his leg filming Mission Impossible 2. And so they had to scramble and they grabbed this guy nobody had ever heard of, oh, Hugh Jackman. Disaster. What? That would have been a disaster. Even if he had been good. Doug Scott. Even if he had yeah. been great at it, he wouldn't have been Hugh Jackman. Because I remember sitting and watching no. the X-Men movie in the theater. And the first time you see Wolverine, he has his back to you. And I went, holy shit, it's Wolverine. I didn't know who, yeah, who Jackman was. He has not said a word. Just his body language, the way he was standing, I went, holy holy shit, they nailed it. Like, that's Wolverine. He hasn't even turned around yet, yeah. and I'm telling you that's Wolverine. So it was yeah. perfect. And even if... Foot taller. Foot taller than actual Wolverine. Sure. But... <laughs> like, I wonder how hard Doug Ray Scott wakes up every morning, looks in the mirror, and goes, Fuck. <laughs> fuck with his stupid leg because that like his life changed that broken leg changed his life he would yeah. be Hugh Jackman right now maybe no one knows his name anymore yeah yeah, yeah. Well, 100% I agree with you so maybe casting I, is yeah, very important I think uh, yeah I mean Hugh Jackman was so good yeah um, I've said a couple times on Twitter you've probably seen I, I think that that um, particularly when you're reaching for a team a team story which is what the what the MCU has become um God, they have to like each other. Yes, it does matter. It does come through. You can see in every single time you put these ensemble casts together that they like each other, that there is a bond, and it actually builds on a characterization in a way that you can't fake. Well, and that's how we've seen. That's how Tom Holland got the job as Spider-Man, was they brought a bunch of kids in and sat him down with Robert Downey Jr., and they hung out and talked, and Robert Downey Jr. went, that's my kid. That's the kid. Yeah. 
because yeah. they and he's clicked. he's the spider-man of my childhood so it's like like when i saw tom holland on screen like i've liked all of the spider-mans even the shitty garfield one even three entirely different takes on on the character but when i saw tom holland i was like that's the spider-man that i was reading when i was 12 that's my spider-man and so it's like that 100 percent get it like nope that's my peter parker i mean i'm much older now but i'm like i remember that 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 was the kid who was me when i was reading spider-man and i guess the only other casting kind of whoopsie they made was terrence howard having to be replaced by don Cheadle. but first off what an upgrade number one oh yeah (laughs) because Cheadle's in every way yeah but and that's another i wonder if he ever looked i wonder if he looks back and goes man i fucked up Oh, he's he's angry. He's still angry. I got greedy. You can still, you can still do. I got yeah. greedy. I wanted more You can still money, do interviews. But I fucked yeah. myself out of the next nine movies worth of money. Yeah, he's and still then, he's still uh, he's bitter about it. He's still like he's still angry at our Robert Downey Jr. for not sticking up for him. Well, I mean, but he should be. I don't know. Maybe he might be should be angry at himself. I don't know, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Thor. Where are we at Thor? Uh, Jane drives him out to the base. It's now night. Yes, the very cool looking base. Yeah, it's kind of a, what are the bivouac? Is that what they call it? Just where the like the plastic yeah. tents that they've set up like an ET where they're just gonna. Yeah. We're not here for it, a long I, I time. Think it, yeah, it deliberately kind of looks like ET. I think in some ways. I, I, I've always liked it. I just thought it was so. It, it it's a very striking, simplistically striking. So it's like it was a, a use of um, a simple thing that makes sense, but it. it it looks really good and unlike anything else in the movie, so it's really nice. Well, because it's lit from the inside, so it's like this glowing object in the dark of the desert. So it looks, yeah, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, um, it's stark black. This whole se- sequence is stark blacks and whites, and it's in complete contrast to everything else. It's like everything in Asgard, which is those golden, those rich golden tones, and so it's an interesting use of uh, that that turns it into this very clinical, very detached, very almost menacing um, thing, which is what you want from this. It is menacing and clinical and detached. One thing I did like about this too is is you get the immediate uh, you get the immediate hint that maybe Thor hasn't lost his powers because it starts to thunder in the desert. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. I just I thought they just made it dark and gloomy and rainy because this is like his rock bottom like he came from the gold dappled city of asgard where it's sunny all the time and now he's at he's not going to be able to lift his hammer and he's so sure that he would and everything was going to be fine and he's barely well, here's the thing. managing to fight mortals this starts out with him being kind because he she's cold and he gives he thinks of her before he thinks of himself and that's when the thunderstorm hits that's true See, there's yeah. stuff going That's... on in these movies, people. It's not just surface level shit. Yeah. There's stuff happening. Yeah. That's screenwriting, yeah. man. It, I think there's there's no reason why it can't be part of both. Like it is a it is a very contrast to the bleak sort of but it's just like to me I was just like it always thought it always struck me as like all of a sudden in the middle of a desert there's a rainstorm. Well, it also doesn't hurt that in a minute when he's screaming to the heavens, he's gonna look real good with wet hair. <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, wet t-shirt, wet hair, yeah. That that doesn't hurt. But here we have Hawkeye, my boy. Whereas they, the guys in here, they just they just call him Barton. But Coulson gets on the headpiece yeah. with somebody like, "Hey, I need eyes up top. I need eagle eyes up high in case we need to shoot this guy, whoever's taking our guards." He reaches out. for a rifle, 
and then grabs a compound bow. Now, when you saw that, did you lose your mind <laughs> the first time? Yes. Here's the thing that reason I lose my mind. I know there's a lot of people that don't like Jeremy Renner, and they I like Jeremy Renner. Um, I I am aware of the, there's some problematic shit in his past. I'm, I'm aware of all of that. I'm not going to get into it. I like him as an actor. I'm, I'm I have a lot of respect for him as an actor, and I've been a fan of his for a long time. So this was almost my dream casting because Clint Barton is my favorite character, other than Steve Rogers and Mockingbird. They're my trinity, right? So it's like they cast an actor that I really like and respect, and actually. When they give him moments, like in this, he looks good with that bow, man. He just, he looks like to me, I'm like, oh man, it looks like Clint Barton. I love it. And I feel like it's a complaint that people make about the Marvel movies a lot. And I don't necessarily 100% disagree with this one is that sometimes it feels less like a movie and more like a commercial for the next movie. And I've never really felt that. I mean, you know, being a comic fan, knowing what I'm looking at, it just feels like a, a cool thing to me, whereas to more the more uninitiated might be like, well, what is this now? Who's this guy? What does this even matter? This is for me, and I like this scene a lot, and obviously you love it. It's Hawkeye. But this to me feels like yeah. the one time maybe in these movies that you can tell that they shot this way later because he's he does not yeah. interact with another human being. They just grab, they like, yeah. we know, shit, we're doing Avengers. Hawkeye's in that. Maybe we should introduce him a little He was earlier. actually cast... He was cast after Principal Photography Thor was finished. So. Right. So let's just film a scene with him quick and plug it in. We'll find a way to work him in. And they found a way. I think it yeah. works pretty well, but it's also pretty obvious that, like, because he has some, he has Coulson in his earpiece, but otherwise it's Renner on a soundstage in a bucket, you know, not dealing with yeah. anybody else. So, but I don't know. It works. Yeah. Part of that is, is, is Marvel accidentally, I think, in some ways fell into this, into this pattern of being, of injecting, um, the extra meta details in these small scenes and then in, in the post-credit sequences, which actually wound up serving them so well because now they have so much stuff that they're just inserting in moments and then they don't have to spend five minutes in the movies, in the next movie setting it up because it was a funny little moment in the last movie, you know? And it's just like, it it really worked for them, you know? And but yeah, also, you're right. In this one, it is the one that feels most inserted. But it's also, and that's, yeah, it's again, it's something that critics or people who are critical of this stuff complain about. But people, the people, the audience, the the masses, and maybe you don't want to please the masses, and that's an issue with you. But yep. they're into it, man. I'll tell you what, the opening night of Black Widow, I was standing in the auditorium when the post credit scene happened first off no one got up and left because everybody fucking knows you don't leave a Marvel movie before when the credits start what are you stupid don't do Marvel's that Marvel's got us well trained yep mm -hmm. secondly when oh god what's your name when Julia Louis-Dreyfus popped up on screen in that post credit scene <laughs> and I heard gasps and laughs from the crowd because they all just watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier and you'd think that like there's going to be somebody in the crowd that's like well, who's this now? But everybody's into it. Everybody knows what's going on. And it has the made this community and it's made this yes. fandom and it's a thing, what? you know, it's cool. I don't care. It's cool. But you can also just expect that the audience has come with you the whole way from the beginning or if they came in late, they went back and got caught up and you can put yep. Julia Louis-Dreyfus at the end of that movie knowing that the majority of people looking at her know who that is they shouldn't 
Yeah. Because it was a TV show. Nope. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't in the last movie. Did they... But they do because they've gone on the journey and they consume all of it. Which I guess, and maybe that's yeah. people's problem is just consume, consume, consume. But come on. There's worse things you can it's... consume. <laughs> Honestly, me consuming nine hours of uh, superhero content every year uh, or even say now with the TV series, say 18 or 20, you know, 24 hours of is um, in a year. Yeah, I don't think it should be the only thing people watch. But if it's one of the things they watch, what? Oh, God, we're back on this again. It's so easy. <laughs> no, I know. But it's uh, so easy because it's so annoying because it's it's it such um it's such a facile, shallow way of looking at it, you know? Well, it's also it's it's people who think they know better who are telling other people you shouldn't enjoy that and if you do there's something wrong with like no there's something wrong with you if you don't enjoy that i feel like like you're saying that it's formula created to be as appealing to the most pe- most amount of people as possible and it doesn't appeal to you that tells me something's wrong with you <laughs> like you're different <laughs> from everyone else and not in a good way um it's uh there's there is no virtue in hating something that everyone else likes. Just if the only reason that you hate it is because everyone else likes it, there's no virtue in that. In in fact, it's kind of childish. Yeah, that's I've been that way in my life in my younger days. Is the reason I to this day have never read a Harry Potter book. I've seen all the movies, but when those books hit, I was already a grown ass man. I was in my early twenties. And so I didn't read the first one, I didn't read the second one, and then by the time the third one came out, everyone I knew, all of my adult friends were saying, oh my god, you have to read these books. Everyone in the world is reading these books except you. That All that made me want to do is never read that fucking book, <laughs> you know? And then I saw the first movie, and I didn't really like it, so I was like, this is what everybody's in love with? Thumbs down. And then I watched the second one, and I was like, oh no, wait, actually, this is good. And so I like the movies just fine, but I've still never read any of the books, and I don't care to. But at the time, it was driven yeah. very. It was driven very much by, well, if everybody likes it, I shouldn't that, like it, which I've outgrown. Uh, uh, opposition, oppositional defiance. Yes, and that's fine. But it's uh, like this way. I have no problem with experiencing oppositional defiance because everybody does. Because there's a number of stuff, and um, I'm been deep into science fiction and fantasy, speculative fiction for most of my life. You know, mostly literature. And there's a, a number of stuff that people have been like, oh, you have to read this, that I've never thought, I've never read even stuff that's considered the great classics and and part of it is at least because i'm really sick and tired of everyone telling me that i have to read it um but i don't consider that a virtue it's not it's not a failing either it's just it's a human nature it's human nature to be oppositionally defiant it's just it's it's don't base your entire personality on it (laughs) like oh i just hate things yeah and also now we live in a time when there are more things to watch than there has ever been to watch and it's more and worse every day. I'm not, I can't watch everything. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm past the point of, I don't even rewatch movies that I love anymore. I mean, I watched this because I had to do it for the podcast, but otherwise, I don't, I don't have time to watch movies that I know that I love because while I'm doing that, I'm not watching eight other movies that just came out that I want to see. Yeah. And I'm so far behind on I, everything. When I prioritize. When I prioritize new content, I prioritize it based on, I have to prioritize it based on things that I know about it already. And I have to, I have to 
bide my time because I can't, yeah, I can't consume everything. And yeah, you're right. That means I am going to miss some stuff. That's great. Okay. I'm sorry. You know, that's, that's too bad. Uh, okay. Let's great. Uh, you're right. I am going to miss that good thing. Hopefully, get hopefully I'll get to it one day. That's that's my motto. Hopefully I'll yeah. get to it one day. I know I should have seen yeah. whatever by now. Hopefully I'll get to it. I just I don't have time this week because the new 90 Day Fiance came out. <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> kind of a trash yeah. person, I guess. Who cares? I listen to a lot of podcasts. It means I don't listen to as much new music as I used to. I've you know, six of one half a dozen. I've reached an age where I don't, and this is probably, this might be a failing. It maybe is sad. Maybe I will work to fix it. But I've reached an age where I just don't do new music. Like the last, yeah, the I, last two bands that I fell in love with were My Chemical Romance and Panic at the Disco, which was 2000 and what, six, 2005. And since I don't listen to the radio anymore, because all I listen to is podcasts or the things I know I already like on Spotify. So I don't discover new songs. I don't discover new music, really, unless someone I, I sticks do. it in my face and says, no, you I, have I to listen to Billie Eilish. Yeah. Try it, you know? I do, but I'm lucky enough to have, um, A, people who are in different generations up and down from me who do listen to a lot of music, and so I catch it os- osmotically through them on occasion. Um, but also, I have also accepted the fact that, um, uh, as in all art, as in movies, um, I don't expect everything to always appeal to everybody. And so, I, again, I don't consider it a failing if I hear, I'm like, that song doesn't really touch me for a lot of reasons, whatever. It, it's a thing I've had to try to explain to some friends of mine and then bringing it back to what we were talking about, bringing it back to the Marvel movies. It's, it's one thing that I had to explain to some friends of mine who are, um, I mean, I'm a woman, I'm a so, white woman, but it's so, to some particularly white male friends why i didn't connect with a specific kind of media and it's like because that particular thing has nothing in it that appeals i am not in that i cannot i as a human being the human that i am cannot exist in the universe that that particular creator has created there is never going to be anybody like me there and so i am not emotionally touched by it and I don't consider that a failing in me or a failing in the art. It simply means that that art was not made for me, you know? Yeah, that's a big lesson that I wish many people on the internet would figure out, is that not everything is for you. Like the new He-Man. And it doesn't, yeah. Not for you. That's fine. Go watch old He-Man then. Yep. It sucks, but go yep. watch old He-Man. Like the fact that he basically told all the whiners about the new He-Man, grow the hell up because there's a girl in it, you're all assholes. Great. I respect him for that. Perfect answer. Good. I watched the first episode. I was bored out of my skull. I'm not going to watch the rest because it doesn't appeal to me. I don't have nostalgia for He-Man. I don't really care about it. What has been presented to me in that first episode does not cause me to wish to watch any more of it. It's not a, that doesn't mean that it's a failure or that it's bad. It just means that it isn't, as I just said, it isn't for me. And that's okay. Yes. Thor. <laughs> um, Back to Thor! Yeah, first first yeah. Hawkeye. Also, I believe, I don't think I'm forgetting, the first Jasper Sitwell, who, yeah. what a journey this character goes on, because he winds up in Winter Soldier being, we Villain. find out he's like, yeah, well, we find out lots of 
shield agents or hydra agents but he's kind of the tip of that spear and so for to see him here forget kind of forgetting that he was in this like oh right he's hanging around colson and like that guy's bad news yeah we'll he's aware of all this stuff who's he passing this information to you know that kind of thing yeah so thor tries to take his hammer back he is still not worthy yet apparently because he can't do it much to his surprise but i also think to the audience's surprise i think it's a surprising turn of events i think it's good screenwriting i think everybody thought oh here's where he's gonna go in he's gonna get his hammer back and we'll get back to superhero thor movie and the fact that it mm-hmm. it doesn't work it's kind of like oh jesus it's okay, classic story structure <laughs> now what are we classic doing? story structure the all is lost moment maybe he'll never be worthy of thor you know, actually, so it's not the all's lost moment that comes with the destroyer, but it's the um, it's the lowest point of the hero's journey. It's the moment where the hero the hero is at the point where you can see no recovery. Classic structure. So he's captured by the shield agents, and Coulson's trying to interrogate him because Coulson not now has been given proof that this isn't Thor, the God of Thunder. This is just some crazy person <laughs> wandered in here and attacked my guards. So he's questioning him about where he got his training is these special forces from afghanistan or blah 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 and he leaves the room for a minute and loki appears and tells oh the, oh god that 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 shot is absolutely i was just marveling at that shot the way the door slides and on the uh, shot on colson and the mirror reveals loki is just beautiful just beautiful and he's gone again just in time when colson reopens the door to come back in but loki mm, loki yeah. tells thor that Oh, our our father died, and I'm king now, and I was going to let you come back, but, like, dad died because he was so brokenhearted about you, and so now mom doesn't want you to come back. So you're just stuck here now and just... Unreliable narrator! (laughs) But the the moment that I love in this scene the most is that at the end of it, Thor says to Loki, I'm sorry, because he believes... Loki loves our father too. I've helped kill our father. He's stuck being king and he doesn't want to be. I've let everyone down. I failed. This is my failure. You're you're suffering from my failure. I was wrong. But him him tearfully telling Loki, I'm sorry. And it it almost catches Loki and trips him up as well because he I don't think he was expecting to hear that either because Thor's probably never said I'm sorry to him for anything in his fucking life. But and then we get the great scene of Loki going and trying to lift the hammer himself, and of course it not working, which is funny, but also very, very much within Loki's character to at least give it a shot. He probably knew it wasn't going to work, but it was worth a shot. Yeah. I know I'm not worthy, but uh, maybe. <laughs> and then Selvig shows up to get to Spring Thor, and they show up with a fake ID for Dr. Donald Blake. And they say, you know, our friend, you know, our friend is drunk and he's had a bad, you just stole all of his work or took all of his work. He's just having a bad time. We've come to get him. He's harmless. Uh, Is Darcy this good of a hacker or whatever that she could make an ID that would fool the top shield agent? They can just hand them this ID and they look at it and they're like, yeah, it's good, I guess. You just made this thing half an (laughs) hour ago. How is this fooling Coulson? This is a problem I have (laughs) with the script. In this instance, because that's that's kind of dumb. There's no way they should be able to pass that off. And it actually says fake ID. Did you did you, did you miss that? They run it through the machine oh, and I it must... says falsified. Oh, does yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just looked. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They write it, and so it, so it says fake ID, and then it to me that implied Coulson let him go. Yes, I'm realizing that now. I think what happened was I think yeah. I was taking notes and I looked away for just a second and yeah. I missed that little beat. So yeah, very briefly because it says it says falsified ID when they run him, and then Coulson. It sort of to me implies that Coulson knows more about the situation. It all it did in the theater too. Is when I saw that in them, you know, in the in the first Spider-Man movie, the first Raimi Spider-Man movie, uh, when Green Goblin breaks in and for no good reason, J. Jonah Jameson lies to him about who Spider-Man, about who took the pictures of Spider-Man. Like for no good reason, he should just throw, he should be throwing Peter Parker to the wolf at that point, but he doesn't. He lies, and he says, "Oh, I don't know. It's just some kid. Like, I, he, did they just mail it?" That to me, that was an, the same energy to that, which is like it added an interesting layer to the character of. Does Coulson actually think that is Thor? I think Coulson is at the very least curious. He knows something's going on because this guy, yes. yeah, this guy should not have been able to come in and rough up highly trained shoelaces yeah. and all this stuff. And this hammer is still unexplained. So there's, there's things going on. And if I follow this guy, maybe if we, you know, just tail him from afar, maybe we'll learn more with honey than with, you know, holding him here it and also gives you an him, which is not working obviously so it gives you an interesting understanding of the amount of power colson has because that seems to be an extremely risky decision that he makes with zero like he just makes it so you get the like this guy's not just a petty functionary this guy's got some power within shield or at least he trusts that he'll be backed up yeah it becomes a character moment definitely because in uh, certainly in iron man 2 and also in avengers after this the feeling you get of Coulson is like he's high ranking, but he's very much Nick Fury's left hand man or right hand man. And he's almost his own agent. Like he's he's almost a free agent. Like you get the feeling like Fury just says, go do this and then doesn't ask him how how he's going to do it. He just does it. Yeah, he trusts Coulson yeah. implicitly that he can just point and say go and he knows Coulson will go and get the job done mm-hmm. without much in the way of oversight or having to call and get things approved. So this is this is very much that and i think yeah. it shows the most in this movie where he's he's not calling the fury and saying hey what should i do about this guy he's just making a decision yeah. in the field and we'll figure it out and nick can learn about it later <laughs> so we get <laughs> thor takes selvig out drinks him under the table brings him back it's a fun little scene and then he's hanging out with jane around the campfire and he's explaining the nine realms i want the other realms like I'm hoping in <laughs> I'm hoping in Love and Thunder coming up we get to see because we've only seen so far across the movies Five. we've seen we've seen Asgard we've seen Jotunheim we've seen Muspelheim we've seen Muspelheim Muspelheim we've seen, we've seen yes. the fire giants yes Nidivellar Nidivellar is one of the is one of the realms we've seen the Nidivellar in, in in Infinity War yeah that's the dwarf kingdom historically speaking yeah so there's and Midgard. Still... Oh, yes, and Midgard. So there's still three we haven't seen, and that's not including if they add in, because in the comics they added Heaven, which was the 10th realm, where Angela comes from. Right. I'm telling you what. Sylvan Seed. If they sneak yeah. Angela into Thor, Love, and Thunder somehow, I will shoot through the roof. That would be interesting. Because. That yeah. would be interesting. Anyways. It's all kinds of stuff. And her... It's also just an interesting. Yeah. Because that character has such an interesting publication history. Yeah. 
that to see yeah. her in a movie would give me a chuckle because she started as a spawn character the todd mcfarlane yeah i know it's, it's great i love it neil, yeah and then he lost and he tried to pick a fight with neil gaiman lost in court so neil gaiman got the rights to the angela character from todd mcfarlane and then just gave her to marvel not sold her just goes here you can have her so angela became a thor Thor's sister, basically, in the comics, this unknown sister, yeah. all with all of that weird backstory behind it. So that's yeah. to see her in a Marvel movie would, I don't know, that would do something special to me. It'd be, it'd be <laughs> really interesting. I would really love to see that because that would be something that'd be really interesting to see them work in. Yeah, but I just I want to I want to see the other realms. We keep talking about nine realms, and we've only seen five of them, so I want to see the rest of them. Hopefully, we'll get to some of them in this next. Thor movie. Loki sends, well, he knows that the Warriors 3 and Sif have gone to Earth against his orders to bring Thor back, so he does two things. First off, he freezes uh, Heimdall in in a block of ice with his, with the ice powers, or, like, or with the cask, so that he'll stop disobeying orders and doing letting people go back and forth. And he also sends the destroyer through to kill Thor and the Warriors three. So here we have our big fight in a New Mexico town with the Warriors three versus Thor or versus the destroyer armor. Pretty cool. The la- the sound his laser eyes make is very cool. I like the sound design of that. And also Mjolnir that they figured out in this first movie as it flies and hits things. Very cool sound design. And very cool design yep. on Destroyer as far as the rotation. Where when Sif, so Sif comes jumping oh. off a building and stabs it through the back oh. of the neck, and you think she's got it beat, and then it every part of its body rotates around so that it's facing her again. It's so goddamn mm-hmm. cool looking. It's such a simple, and you don't expect it, even though you can see that that's how it's designed. You can yeah. see in the way that oh, yeah. the lines on its body. You should have guessed that it would do that, but you never thought it would do that. And then it does it, and you're like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Yep. So, yep. Hope it's, is- um, it's, it's, it's really for a nameless, faceless antagonist, because it's not the villain. It's, it's a really nice design. And it's something, it's a formidable threat, because realistically, as cool as Loki is, if you put him and Thor face to face, I mean, Thor's going to pummel the shit out of Loki. Like, Loki has kind of no chance against Thor. The same way that Batman or or the Joker really has no chance against Batman. That's why he needs all these traps and things. Because as soon as they're in a room alone together, he's getting his teeth knocked out. Like, it's not even a contest. So. Yeah, the the only thing that stops, the only thing that stops that from being a bloodbath is the code of honor of the hero kind of thing, you know? (laughs) But physically speaking, Loki has no chance against Thor. And so any fight that they have at the end is going to be kind of, it's going to be more emotion based rather than a cool physical spectacle. So it's nice to have the destroyer here as something actually intimidating and worthy of Thor's physical prowess, I guess. Yep. And it's cool. Oh yeah. No, you, you, you have to genuinely believe that this thing could kill a god, yeah, is what it comes down it to. Seems, uh, it, it seems, well, I mean, it kind of, it does. I mean, you guys, he's not a god at the moment, but Thor, and mm. here's his big hero moment. Here's where he becomes worthy. He directs Jane and the other warriors, like, don't worry, stop fighting. Just get these civilians off the street, because this 
crazy robot is blowing cars all over the place and shooting lasers around and blowing up gas stations and it's bad news. It's interesting how in all of the MCU it is consistently a theme that every single time the heroes have a chance to get people out of the way, they do even if it means they're going to get killed or hurt. Every single movie where they have a chance to save civilians, the first act is always, we will save the civilians and deal with our problems later. Always. Which, I guess, depending, certainly in that second Avengers movie, I feel was very much a response to Man of Steel. Because a lot of complaints about Man of Steel were that, like, wow, they just completely destroyed Metropolis and killed a shit ton of people while they were fighting and didn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, you know, that collateral yes, and damage. Then, and, then, and then haphazardly tried to give shit, shitty excuses for why they weren't doing that exact same thing in Batman versus Superman. But it's actually, in some ways, um, the first Avengers, Man of Steel, and Age of Ultron are all, are all talking to each other about that. And... I unequivocally Marvel wins that argument because uh, in every case, it's a more in, okay. A friend of mine and I were talking about why Marvel fight scenes are so good. And he made a point, which I hadn't really considered, but I realized was true after he said it, which is that in every single instance in a Marvel fight scene, they will always make the most interesting decision. Not necessarily always the most logical decision, but always the most interesting decision. We're going to do the most interesting thing we can do with the physics of this, with the um, powers, with all of that. And one thing that makes the plots of these movies more interesting is when you have to contend with collateral damage. So it's a, it's not simply the correct decision for them to be heroes. It's a correct decision on a narrative level because it makes everything more interesting because it makes it more complicated. That's true. Thing. And then also give you, he's got to become a hero again. So how do you do that? <laughs> you were just going to say that though. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's his save the cat moment. Except it's not a, a cat. It's a town full of people. <laughs> he gets to, instead of being selfish, you know, I'm going to walk up me, no longer immortal, no longer invulnerable. I'm going to walk up and try to have a conversation with the destroyer because I know Loki can hear me. He sent this thing while you guys, at the very least, I will serve as a distraction while you evacuate this street of civilians at best maybe i can talk him out of doing this it seems like for a moment that he did talk him out of it sort of apologizing again and saying look whatever problem you have is with me it's not with any of these people or any anyone on midgard it's not with midgard it's not with midgard your problems with me leave this place alone you know and the destroyer starts to turn away and you but then he spins around and backhands thor i guess breaking his neck i guess it seems like because when he lands he's dying from from getting hit i did like the fact that he immediately force trauma (laughs) yeah i did like the fact that they immediately he immediately i did like the fact that there wasn't a lot of like oh who possibly sent this thor went like no loki said it there was like not a lot of hemming and hawing about how could this possibly be happening like oh no loki said this like immediately like oh no i think the idea is that it could only be directed by the king of asgard true is true, part of yeah. its whole deal so loki it had to be it was either loki or odin and odin is as far as i know dead so even frozen heimdall is a badass because loki has let frost giants through to only three of them though which seems like a i guess he's trying to be sneaky he should have just let them all through if his plan well i guess he has his own plan going on so i guess he did the right thing 
But on the surface, before you know what's going on with Loki, it seems like that's not enough Frost Giants. But Heimdall, through sheer force of will, breaks his way out of this, just from anger at what's happening on his bridge, breaks his way out of this ice he's frozen in and kills these Frost Giants, which is badass. I, lo- I love Hemdahl. There's interesting ways that they shoot Hemdahl in this. Again, this is Kenneth Branagh's skill. Is he's often shot from a forced perspective to make him look a lot taller than he is. And that's the only time they do it is in this movie, but it is extremely effective. It does give him a weight and a presence on screen. That even that fact that he's only on screen a little bit does give that character a weight and a gravitas to it. It's really nicely done. Yeah, I think another Branagh decision that I was going to mention earlier and I forgot Anytime that Loki is on the throne or has the, he's shot at Dutch angles. He's shot, yeah, a, which is a very purposeful like, it's off kilter. It's a, something's not right here. It's it, it's it's supposed to uh, make you uneasy. It, it 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 it's it's irregular. It makes you uneasy about what's happening. It feels like there's some menace to it. You know, that's the the point of those angles. he's often very often shot upwards or from the side and up. And that's the intention is to make it off of off center in the, in the, in, like you said, off center in the, in the screen and therefore off center um, emotionally as well. But it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a subtle thing that I, I don't even know if I even noticed until watching it this time, but like, especially like the scene where Loki is talking to when the warriors three and Sif come to, so to come to Loki and are like, Hey, bring Thor back. And he says that he won't. When we cut back to Sif and the warriors three, it's a, it's, you know, a, straight level plain old shot and when we cut back to loki it's just off it's rotated the camera's rotated like 28 degrees or something just slightly so that he's yeah these weird dutch angles and it works it's it's a cool it's one of those things that you think doesn't you, you you wouldn't think works on people but it does and there's a reason why it is a part of film language it's it doesn't work because it's like some deep propaganda technique it works just because of it's a visual medium and when you have those angles that are off the 90 the 90 180 degrees that we expect it just does cause you a little bit of unease you know and it's 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 nice to see because I respect professionalism so much. <laughs> well, and Brana obviously got a taste for, but also an opportunity to do, you know, because like if, if Thor had kind of whatever petered out or hadn't interested him or whatever, he probably would have gone straight back to doing just a bunch more Shakespeare. But the fact that he's gone on to do like the Agatha Christie stuff, because obviously he really wanted to play Parro. He really wanted to do, you know, uh, Murder on the Orient Express and now Death on the Nile. So, and that's probably an opportunity that he wouldn't have had if he hadn't done Thor, or maybe a boldness within himself that he wouldn't have had if he hadn't done Thor. So, it it's led to other things. It's you know, art begets he art is, begets art. He is very clearly somebody who who does not work just to work. He is very clearly somebody who works when something moves him to do so. Yeah, because he's right? taken he's, he's taken has, long breaks yeah. in his career between projects. Yes. A lot. Yeah. So, yeah, Loki's secret plan is to let he leads Laufey to believe that he's going to lead him to where Odin is sleeping, and he's going to watch Laufey kill Odin. But he waits mm-hmm. till the last second and kills Laufey himself, and just straight up disintegrates mm-hmm. him with his with Odin's staff, so mm-hmm. that so that he can say to Odin like. 
look, I chose you, your sleep, and I know you can hear me. I, I did this. I did what you couldn't or wouldn't do. I took out the king. I've saved your life. I took out the king of the frost giants. My father. I killed my real father for you. Yeah. So he's always got his own. But even as nefarious as he can be, it's always based on this damaged little boy inside of him. Like, you know. The need to prove that he's worthy. Never, he's I worthy of being loved. You know? Mm-hmm. But he is going to take it a step further. And as we set up earlier in the movie, he's going to destroy Jotunheim and wipe out any trace of this, his secret shame backstory that he doesn't want anyone to know about by pointing the Bifrost Bridge at the planet and just leaving the wormhole there so that it will completely destroy Jotunheim. And so now that's that's your big third act complication, I guess. That's what Thor has to stop in addition to, you know, trying to mend the rift between he and his brother emotionally. His brother's now a straight-up villain who wants to destroy a planet. or so. Yeah, he's now decided he's going to commit genocide. So they... Yeah, Thor comes back. They get they have a little bit of a tussle, which Loki's most kind of mostly winning for a second, I guess, despite what I said earlier about their physical concept. But he out, but he has Odin's staff, so he's a little, you know, he has a bit of an advantage. The thing that I love is him pinning Loki down with the hammer because you can't he can't lift the hammer, so just <laughs> setting it on him nicely so that it holds yeah. him down. How frustrating that would be! It's like the Big Brother holding you down and not letting you up, and you can't get up. Except that it, he doesn't even it's have a, to. He can walk moment. away now because he left his hammer on you and you can't lift it. It's great. It's a moment of adorable, of adorable, frustrating comedy too. Because it's just like there's just this this little moment, the, the little comedic like, ah, this will take care of you. <laughs> but it's also a smart, oh yeah, and simple and elegant decision to make rather than we're going to have a fist fight for the next 10 minutes like there's no reason for me to do that i outclass you so much i can literally just put my weapon on you and you can't move like it's as simple as that i don't want to beat you up i just want to stop you from doing this crazy shit you're trying to do yeah and i don't really want to hurt you i don't want to hurt you and this prevents me from having to hurt you yeah this as you said simple elegant action prevents me from having to hurt you because I know I can. Eventually, we're gonna we're gonna talk this out. But right now, you need to calm down. So here you go. You know. Yeah, it's very much you're 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 in the corner. You go stand in the corner and think about what you did while I fix this. Yeah. So he goes, and here's Thor's making more another personal sacrifice. He the only way to stop this now, because the Bifrost sort of projector thing has completely like derailed and malfunctioned, is to shatter the Bifrost itself which he does knowing that now he can't go back to earth and he promised Jane he was going to go take care of things and then come right back because they are sort of, you know, falling for each other. But now he's going to be stranded here at least for a while until they can fix the bridge or whatever. And so he shatters to, to save their enemy, to save the frost giants, the planet of frost giants. He's going to, he smashes the Bifrost, which then, which is the act of a, act of a hero, act of a king. Sacrificing his own yes. needs, yeah. And well, it's not only a selfless, a, it's a selfless decision because he's giving up something that he personally wants, but he's also showing mercy to their enemy. You know, who at the beginning of the movie he wanted to go and <laughs> commit genocide on himself, like with his bare hands, and now that opportunity is here, and he 
doesn't want that anymore. He won't let that happen. So that's he has definitely grown. He has become a better person. But of course, Loki tries to get sneak up behind him and stab him. Odin has woken up at this point because Loki goes flying off the edge of the bridge. And I guess underneath, below Asgard is just a black hole or something that you fall into if you fall off yeah, the bridge. Yeah, that was an odd. You fall off the edge thing. of Asgard, you just fall into it. Yeah, like okay, whatever. Let's have that. You know, because we needed him teleported to wherever he winds up to meet Thanos for the Avengers. Yeah. but it does. It is an odd looking. Like, oh, that's just what's under there. You just fall forever. Like, you're in space. It shouldn't be. It's not like you're falling off a cliff and you're gonna. It should be okay. Somebody can go get him, but I guess not. But so he's hanging off. It's Thor's... just tur- it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so Thor has caught him, but Thor's maybe gonna fall too. And then Odin appears. And is holding both his sons up, and rather than, I guess, either out of a sense of defeat, or look what you made me do, or perhaps genuine sorrow of, like, I've messed everything up and I've ruined my family, and he he lets go and flies off into the void, which is very sad for Thor, and very sad for Odin, but that's what happens. Um, And that's kind of it. We get a little bit of... Jane back on Earth, kind of longing for him to come back. Him and Asgard longing, wishing he could go back, which I guess in the beginning of Dark World, I guess they just fixed the bridge. I don't remember Dark World very well. <laughs> I guess they just fixed the bridge because he can go back to Earth in that one, no problem. So Yeah, they kind of hand wave. Oh, we fixed the Bifrost. Ah, you know. But sometimes. I mean, they hand wave fast. how they. Yeah. They hand wave how they even get Thor to Earth in the Avengers, right? Oh, dark energy. Uh, now we're moving past that. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, because Avengers was before Dark World. Yeah, how did he get to Earth? Yeah, to Earth? how much dark energy did Father have to conjure to get you, you get you here? And now we're going to ignore the fact that you can't even, We're just going to leave that alone. <laughs> and then they just go back to Asgard at the end. So it's like they're just sort of hand waving. Oh, the Asgard. That was, that's one of the, one of the big, like, Oh, someone didn't really think that through, right? But it's like, ah, whatever. It's better than spending a movie on fixing the Bifrost. Yeah, that's true. One of those little shortcuts that you can mostly forgive. And then we have, I guess, I forget that the Foo Fighters are in the credits of this movie, which was weird when it happened last night. I was like, oh, right. Because we usually just get cool, you know, orchestral score during the credits nowadays. But having this Foo Fighters song (laughs) pop up was like, oh, striking. Just like the Paramount logo at the beginning. Because you forget, yeah, it's weird how invested yeah. Paramount, you know, that Paramount was running the show for a while there at the beginning, and seeing that mm-hmm. logo instead of, well, I guess they never, they never slapped the Disney Castle logo in front of the Marvel movies anyway. So, but no, seeing the Paramount logo was like, whoa, I forgot about that. And then we have our post-credit scene, which is another thing that doesn't really match up terribly well with Avengers because in Avengers, Loki shows up through the Tesseract, uses the uses his staff with the Infinity Stone in it to take over Selvig's mind and Hawkeye's mind. And in here it appears that he has possessed Selvig somehow from beyond the grave or something. It doesn't really mesh with what I always comes later. Thought but... it was Im- I always thought it was implied that it was through Selvig that he even knew to go to where the Tesseract was. So that was to me, uh, that was the implication of this when you consider the Avengers that he would not have been able to find the Tesseract without the connection to Selvig. That was always what was implied to me. But again, that's me reading that's me reading a connection in that they don't ever actually make on screen. You're right. It's just like, hang on a minute. 
and then it's totally different in the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, because but, in, in yeah. Avengers, the first time we see Loki is he's hanging out with um, Thanos on his little the first asteroid time we see... throne or whatever, right? The first time we see Loki is when he appears because the door opens. Because remember, like it's in the Tesseract chamber. Oh, yeah. But he's been sent there and I th- by I Thanos, always have... right? I don't know. I think I it always see to me, and, and they never explain this. So yes, this is me just reading it in. It's always implied to me that he sold Thanos on the idea of yeah, if I go get the Tesseract, or 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 yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's always sort of implied to me that Thanos never told him the Tesseract was an Infinity Stone, so he kind of like thought he was tricking Thanos. But yeah, you're right. It's never it's never really justified or explained in any way. So it's just kind of reading shit in, right? So you know. Yeah, it's not who clear who is tricking who. But we get our at this point in the proceedings our obligatory Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury post credit scene. That's just yeah, it's leading up to the Avengers, and that's it. That's the movie. A good one. I think most people would say it's a mid tier Marvel movie. But even like I said, with look at those Rotten Tomato scores, even a low tier Marvel movie is still. A pretty fun movie to watch you know it's still a perfectly enjoyable fun popcorn movie to watch it's just re-watching it now talking to you i'm reminded of how good it is of how well structured it is of how beautiful it looks of how um of how subtly some of the character stuff is done and it's like even at the end there it is never clear why loki lets go because all he says is, I did it for you, Father, I did it for you. And Odin says, no, Loki, but he's never allowed a chance to articulate what he means by, no, I didn't want you to do that, or no, don't let go. Because Thor's line is then, no, Loki, and then Loki lets go. And they never explain, even now, they've never explained that interaction. So you have to be watching that and looking like, did Odin mean to say more? Or was that simply him rejecting Loki and that's why Loki lets go? Or did Loki jump the gun and do it to punish them because he sees how much they care about him. So it's like, it's, I, I, I enjoy the fact that there's a lot of stuff in all of the MCU that they don't over explain. It's just like, this is a slightly ambiguous ending and we're going to trust you to think about it on your own because I, I don't like being told how I'm supposed to, what emotional reaction I'm supposed to be having at this moment. And I do like the fact that there's multiple instances where they don't tell you what your emotional reaction is supposed to be. Like as infinity war ends, um, I've always loved the fact that you can clearly read um, relief on Wanda's face as she dies, because it's like, Oh, I don't have to live with murdering vision now. And then she dies, you know, she gets dusted. And I'm like, I like the fact that they've never felt the need to explain that stuff like that and this movie is an epitome of that because they never truly explain why loki lets go yeah i think you could read it a couple different ways i always read it as because he says i did it for you father and i feel that odin saying no loki is him saying no you didn't do it for me you did it for yourself and that's yeah that's that's loki figuring out that like okay well no matter what i do he's never going to be satisfied with me and so what am i even doing here bye you know or alternately he saw through me he saw through this so i can't fool him so what's the point um my my plan failed oh he doesn't love me because how or how oh he saw through me so how could he ever possibly love me 
you know, he saw what I did, you know, what's the point of even sticking around? He's, he's got Thor back. He doesn't need me. You can see it as, you can see it as him jumping the gun and deciding all of that before Odin gets a chance to say anything. You know, you can see it also as both Thor and Odin seeing in the same moment because their lines are right next to each other. Oh my God, he's going to let go. No, Loki, don't. Right? So there's like multiple ways to read that. And it is something that I've always enjoyed about Thor in the comics. And I've always enjoyed about Thor in the MCU is that despite everything is the fact that it has always been clear that they love each other. It's toxic in many ways. It's, it's inscrutable in many ways, but you can see that as Loki grows and changes and he does grow and he does change, he comes to accept the fact that he's like, no, I love my brother. And, and Thor's never like, there's that whole, I don't know if you've ever read, if you read that you probably have, that whole thing where when when Loki dies and then is reincarnated as kid Loki and doesn't know that he's Loki, Thor is the one who goes to find him because he misses his brother, goddamn yeah. <laughs> You know? It's like, that's so great. I love that. It's like, I, I love the idea that also the fact that Thor is never, even when Thor finds out that he's, you know, a frost giant, he's like, no, he's my brother. He's always been my brother. He's never going to not be my brother. You know? That's great. I love that message. I love that aspect of it. And again, you get that because it is really clear that Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth like each other. <laughs> you know, they just like each other as, as people and they love, they both love the characters, right? So you get these two guys who like each other and love and tr- truly genuinely love playing these characters and embody them in ways that's like, we all talk about Chris Evans being like possibly the most perfect casting in, in history, Chris Evans, but, but link about, the number of Marvel characters you can say that about Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, nah, nah, nah. you just get this list of people who are like, I honestly don't know that you're ever going to improve on that casting. You could cast somebody else, but I don't know if you're ever going to improve on it. Well, and also for every, for every Robert Downey Jr. who's like, okay, look, I did my nine movies, peace out, and your Scarlett Johansson's who are like, oh, I'm suing you now because I'm so over this. For every one of those, yeah. you have four guys who are like oh i will do this i will play this character until i die if you let me i mean tom holland has said that about spider-man hemsworth said about thor hiddleston has said about loki like i will never get tired of doing this and it reminds me a lot of i know i know some people don't like deadpool but at the very least you have to appreciate the passionate ryan reynolds loves deadpool so fucking much (laughs) like he has willed those movies into existence he shows up places in the suit that he doesn't even have to just because he fucking loves it you know like that's a he will play deadpool until you make him stop and that kind of passion i love yeah i hate deadpool as a character and i love those movies because ryan reynolds goes into those movies with love and affection and an understanding of the characters people do not get the razor blade they walked on for the first Deadpool movie, because that is that is that is the same razor blade you walk when you play Captain America. Because if you trip to either side, it's going to cut your throat. And they, the fact that he, among other things, when the studio said we're not going to pay to have the writers on set, he did it. He just paid his own money to have the writers on set. When they said you have ten million dollars less than we told you, he said he made that an asset. He made that a character moment of, oh, we can't do this big gun battle at the end. So let's make it funny. Which is why I feel like... Even <laughs> yeah, if, you're right. Willed it. Yeah. Even if they have to make a concession and Deadpool 3 is... I mean, they've said it's going to be R. But let's say 
like, okay, it has to be PG-13. I still think he would find a way to make it work. And not only that, but make it they a meta. That. Well, they did that PG-13 cut, which I have the Blu-ray of, of Deadpool 2, which works perfectly fine without all the swearing and all yeah. the stuff. It's a perfectly good cut. And I think yeah. you could even turn it into a meta thing where it's like, at the beginning of the movie, you have Deadpool say, okay, I only get one F word. This is a PG-13 movie, so I'm going to save it for the right moment. And then at the end, someone else says it, and he, he's like, no, yeah. no, that was my one and F word. And they just bleep it out. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen, but you're like, yes, I would, I would, that would be a wonderful thing. And I'm like, yeah, I, Ryan Reynolds, again, Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool, you're right, is an example of why if you love and respect the material, you will make a good product. And that was why so many before the MCU, so many comic movies had been tried and failed because they were made as either cash grabs or with with an inherent disrespect for the character with, well, we're going to ignore all this childish lore bullshit and just have it be gritty and dark. And I'm like, yeah, but the childish quote unquote lore is what makes the character interesting. Otherwise, you're just making a dirty Harry movie in a costume, you know? And and it was so disrespectful and so um, unloving, you know? And I'm like, as soon as you got people involved who were like, no, we are going to respect this and we're going to show love for it and we're going to show that it's, and we're going to have fun with it. It's going to be funny and interesting. It's going to have, you know, fun stuff involved. Like, we're not going to treat everything like it has to be the end of the world dour grittiness. But we're also not going to pretend that it's not inherently ridiculous because it is. We can do both. And like that's when you started to get this good work, this, these fun movies, these movies that had the energy and the power that the comics had, but were also just entertaining as hell, even if you didn't know anything about the character, you know? So I could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and we have. I'm going to wind up probably yeah, it's trimming, been a while. Sorry about that. Trimming yeah. some of our uh, many asides here and there just to keep it. Yeah, I apologize. At... I don't mean to talk so no, much. No, no, yeah. we're at two hours and 40 minutes right now, so... Uh, it is that time of the episode when I press the magic button to see what next week's movie, chosen completely at random from everything streaming, will be. Pressing the magic button right now. Next week's movie is The Reason I Jump. It is on Netflix. It is Oh, it's my first documentary, I guess. Boy, how do you talk about a documentary? Um, it's about nonverbal autistic people. Hmm. Well, that will surely be interesting. Huh. Probably, maybe yeah, not so fun. Yeah, Japan. But interesting. The Reason I Jump from 2012, it's just from last year, 2020, on Netflix, documentary that is the movie for next week's episode. That's everyone's homework should you choose to accept it. Where can people find you? I think I might go watch that, actually. Again, ma'am. Ah, okay. I am TG Shepherd Van on Twitter, and um, I block and mute freely, so... Just be aware of that. Um, I have a website, tgshepherd.com, where I have uh, my blog, which has got a breakdown of all of the fight scenes in the John Wick movies, 30 seconds at a time. I am a martial artist of extensive experience over 30 years now. And I also do fight scene consultations. If you're a writer, I can help you uh, determine what kind of weapons or martial arts a character should be using based on what you've written or what might be useful for you to write. Or I will read a fight scene and tell you what you screwed up. It's good work if you can get it. Mm-hmm. All right. I am at Heath Lambert 78 on Twitter. The show is That's a Random P2. Email address for the show is That's a Random Pod at gmail.com. Art for the show by 
at Joe Humphrey. Nope, that's not right. His name is Joe Humphrey, but it's at Mr. Joe Humphrey. And uh, go check out his stuff. He is very good. And I think that will do it for this week. Uh, a long episode. A lot of talking. But it's always good to have a movie that's good. <laughs> Thor is good. That's I guess that's what I t- my takeaway. Thor's a good movie. Fuck the haters. Thor's a good movie. Agreed. <laughs> All right. That will do it for me. That will do it for her. Goodbye, everybody. See you next week.